everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm Alex, your host, and here today we are going to be talking about the Spider-Man saga, which is all of the movies, the Tobey Maguire films, the Andrew Garfield films, and a bit of the Tom Holland films before we share with you our rankings on all of these movies and talk a little bit about Spider-Man No Way Home. So in order to break down all of this, I have two very special guests with me. First off, we've got Brian from Earth's Mightiest Weirdos and United We Fan. Brian, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah, and also we have Anthony, another favorite guest of the podcast. Anthony, welcome. Hey, sir. How are we doing tonight? Doing great. Very excited to talk about Spider-Man. Uh, I realized I think all of my podcast episodes for the rest of this month are dedicated to Spider-Man. So in a way, this is Spider-Month. And uh, we'll have some conversations about that at the very end, too, about some other very exciting uh, podcasts and live streams that are going to be going on uh, throughout this month. But before we get to the end, we need to start in the beginning. So let's dive right in. First off, we've got the Tobey Maguire films, and we'll start off with the OG Spider-Man 1. Uh, I know we, uh, a lot of us, we did some rewatches on all of these. For me, it had been some time before I had seen uh, these Tobey Maguire films. It's probably been at least four or five years, I tried doing a rewatch of them, and for some reason my Blu-ray is like glitched on Spider-Man 2, so I never finished it, and then I just stopped it and even bother with 3, so it was nice to go back and rewatch them. Uh, I did end up having that same Blu-ray issue with Spider-Man 2, so I ended up having to rent it, uh, which was annoying, very annoying. Don't rent any movie off Amazon in standard definition if you're trying to save a buck. Spend that extra dollar. You won't regret it. Uh, but so, <laughs> yeah, it was even still available. That's crazy. It is. It is. It kept uh, fluctuating between like a widescreen view and then like a five, seven aspect ratio where it's just the square for the longest <laughs> time. It was really it was like a TV issue. I have no idea. It was it's not good, but uh, we'll get there. That's not necessarily a gripe at Spider-Man 2, but uh, I do have a couple gripes about that movie. I'm really excited to see your guys's rankings as we get to that point, because I have a feeling uh, just a, a, from what I've heard, and I know, Brian, uh, I think you shared your rankings during your most recent United We Fan episode about the Tom Holland Spider-Man. Uh, I'm pretty close to where you're at, but uh, I'm excited to kind of see where we all line up. So let's start with Spider-Man 1. Uh, Sam Raimi uh, directed all three of these movies, and it was funny. I, I didn't really know who he was at the time of them coming out in theaters. I was just kind of a, a kid excited to finally see my favorite superhero on screen. Uh, but re-watching them again like this, they really are Sam Raimi movies. And I thought that was really cool. I even saw, besides the Bruce Campbell uh, stuff, he has a little, like, Evil Dead call-outs in these movies, too. Did you guys catch any of that? I did not. It's been so long since I've seen his original Evil Dead that I probably couldn't even tell you what the Easter eggs were. I, I'm yeah. not sure I've even seen Evil Dead. I just, the biggest Sam Raimi thing to me is in Spider-Man 2, the, the Doc Ock surgery scene. But I know we'll talk about that. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so that's that's <laughs> that's the call out from two from one. It's when uh, after Peter gets bit by the spider and he's at home and he starts getting all foggy and he's about to pass out. You see a skull pop up on the screen and it's like an identical skull to the skulls in Evil Dead. And it's a very quick jump. But yeah, so this OK, I've got I've got some notes that I took on some of these. So there's a couple of things I kind of want to pick your guys's brains on as we go through this. Uh, and again, we're going to be talking about kind of our favorite moments 
and then maybe some of our, our lesser favorite moments from these films, which I think will increase as we get to films such as Spider-Man 3. But uh, one of my favorite bits in this first movie is actually right at the beginning, which is when Norman Osborn drops off Harry and meets Peter for the first time and says, I'm something of a scientist myself. Uh, that's like one of my favorite lines. I know it's been turned into so many gifts. Uh, but I, I, mean, I think he he's in the running as one of my favorite villains, too. I, I thought Willem Dafoe did such a good job as the Green Goblin, but I almost liked him more as Norman Osborn. And so uh, I think maybe we could just start there to say, what did you guys think? And, and Brian, we'll start with you on Norman Osborn as the villain for this first movie. Yeah, I, I agree. He's in the running um, of he's definitely my favorite Tom Holland villain or excuse me, Toby Maguire <laughs> villain. Um, I really, I really like Willem Dafoe. I'm something of a scientist myself is absolutely one of the best lines to come out of this. <laughs> and I, I do not dis, uh, I do not disagree at all when you say he's more fun as Norman Osborn than he is even, even, uh, Peter Parker, but, or as the Green Goblin. But, um, I, it's just, they, they establish a good relationship between Harry and, and Peter right from the very start of the film. And Norman kind of fits in with that role of of busy father who doesn't always have time for his kid. And they were able to make that pretty clear, pretty evident early on. But he's he's the popular he's the president of Oscorp. Everybody wants to meet him. And Peter finally gets that chance. And and he spends he he takes time out. He's trying to be a good dad and he takes good good time out. I think he's he's a good Norman Osborn for sure. Yeah. What about you, Anthony? Yeah, I think uh, Willem Dafoe is definitely like the biggest uh, star name. For that movie when it came out in 2002 like not That's everybody knew toby mcguire not everybody knew james franco kirsten dunst but everyone knew willem dafoe um i mean i know him most from boondock saints yeah that's right quite a bit of an, an eccentric character in there but yeah i mean uh to your point brian it is interesting to see how you know he's not always present with harry but then the moment he needs to defend his dad he's like right there you know like when he walks out from the uh thanksgiving dinner and makes the comment about mary jane and then mary jane's like oh everyone heard that creep that creep is my father if i could grow up to be half the man he is <laughs> i'll be lucky even though he's never there i mean you know i think you see it is it in spider-man it's either either two or three when the his butler i think it was three was yeah, like, oh, I've weird. known your father for a long time, and you know, there's a lot of things that you don't know about him, and it almost seems like the butler is more of a father figure now to to Harry than than his dad was. Yeah, Anthony reminded me that the Thanksgiving scene is actually in Spider-Man One. In my head, it was in Spider-Man Two, and I I don't know why I thought that. I have oh, wow. not, I have not gotten to a Tobey Maguire rewatch before No Way Home. Um, the very first episode of, of United We Fan was on the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. So that was the last time I was able to go through them. But that uh, when he smells the blood at the Thanksgiving dinner and kind of goes Green Goblin, that's Willem Dafoe acting to his finest. And I, I think that that scene is is really, really great. Yeah, yeah. it smells it and hears it when it hits the ground, too. Yes. Mm hmm. Yeah, that whole bit was just harrowing of like seeing him come in and then he's but he, okay, he's hiding on the ceiling and no one thinks to look up. And it was like, OK, all right. But yes, the whole blood drop was great. I don't know why he couldn't have just, you know, covered it up with a little more bandage. But that was one of my favorite scenes on my first watch in the theaters was when 
Uh, she says, Norma, and slaps his hand and says, we haven't <laughs> said grace. And he just gives her that look as he's licking his fingers. Yeah, he sticks like, his whole oh. finger in the food. Yeah. <laughs> he sticks his, what, there's like a phrase about that. I, I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, so that I thought was awesome. Um, kind of getting back to the beginning of it, too. I know we're jumping straight to the villains, but I think we'll have an interesting tie in there as we start talking about No Way Home and highlighting all of these villains. Uh, but Tobey Maguire, he is Peter Parker. He's Spider-Man. This was our first time ever seeing Spider-Man on, on the big screen. And I remember when I first saw him, I was like, wow, this guy is great. Like, he's really good as Spider-Man. He's really good as Peter Parker. But I will say then, you know, I saw Andrew Garfield and then I saw Tom Holland. And then, you know, as I rewatch it, I'm like, I am not a huge I, I love Tobey Maguire, but I just did not think he was the right cast for this. I think he played an interesting I'm trying to remember if I liked him more as Spider-Man or Peter Parker. But uh, there's just something about him and he does really well in this first movie. But I feel like it kind of goes more downhill with each film. But Brian, uh, what did you think of, of Tobey as Spider-Man er, as Spider-Man and Peter Parker? Yeah, he's a better Peter Parker than he is a Spider-Man for me. Uh, I I think the this is the best uncle Ben stuff we get with all due respect to Martin Sheen. I do like Martin oh, Sheen yeah. all of uncle Ben, but I think I like this particular character of uncle Ben. I like the story that they tell around Peter and, um, doing the, the wrestling, uh, for, for $3,000 and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I really enjoyed that. I think all that Peter Parker stuff was good. I could buy into him on the field trip, taking pictures, being the nerdy guy. That's always been constantly being bullied. I say he's the best Peter Parker, but it's also the least believable that he's in high school um, throughout the entire yeah. Yeah. Flash Thompson is just absolutely jacked and, and, <laughs> and six, the, four, two, two, modern, yeah, but um, I, I, I like, I, I think he's a better Peter Parker than he is a Spider-Man to answer your question for me. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Anthony? So, uh, to, uh, Brian's point, um, it's hard when you see Aunt May and realize that she was 75 years old. I looked up because I was watching. I was like, man, why are they so old? And then I'm supposed to uh, so supposed to just accept the fact that this guy's in high school. I'm like, there's no way. Like like you said, Brian, like everybody's way too old. Like they're 30. Yeah. There's, his there's his no parents way. were 50 when they had him, basically. And then yeah, they exactly. old age. And that's why I mean, Uncle Ben had. Yeah. To- and then even in, you know, the amazing Spider-Man, they're a little bit younger, but now in the Tom Holland Spider-Mans, they're even younger. So it, it, it seems more believable on that aspect. Um, but no, I think Tobey Maguire, definitely he had a, you know, the, the with great power comes great responsibility. Like he definitely took that to heart more so than I think anybody else has. You know, I don't think Andrew really had that. I think Andrew was more uh, shaped and defined by his parents missing are gone rather than uncle Ben's death. Um, so I think, you know, and Toby even always apologizing for being late and nerdy and realizing that he couldn't have what he wanted because of the mask was definitely a nod to that understanding that the great power mantra, but yeah, to, to go back and even to know, to, to try to remove yourself from seeing, Tom Holland as Spider-Man and seeing Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, you have to just kind of see Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man without acknowledging that there's others out there. Like when he was out, he was the best. And then Andrew came out and is like, eh, is he the best? And I hate to have recency bias, but I think Tom is the best at this point. 
So I, I don't want it to always be, you know, the newest is the best, but I think uh, it, it's it's hard to to look back and be like, oh yeah, that that could all happen when it definitely couldn't. Yeah, it's do you really. Wanna, do you want to rank the Peter Parkers and Spider Mans now, or we'll get to that, I guess, after we talk about all the films. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to that when we get closer there because I'm trying to keep it a little close to the vest, even though I know we're already we're all leaning in one direction or another. I can tell it's already <laughs> coming out, but I think that's a really fascinating conversation to have, and it was, it was one of the bigger ones that I wanted to have with you guys is just this idea that because we've said this a lot on comics and cinema of just I hate ranking things because you know tomorrow it's going to be a different ranking, but it's really interesting when you look at the Spider-Man movies because. If you take away the whole, you know, the fan bias that we all have, they all do different things. Like all three of these movies accomplish different things. And I remember, I vividly remember when I saw uh, Amazing Spider-Man, the first one, I got super upset because I was like, I I kept telling people like, oh, yeah, they're going to be, it's going to be a new Spider-Man movie. And I bet you they're just going to have an opening credits where you see Uncle Ben die and you don't even have to touch it again because we already got to see that in Tobey Maguire. And they didn't do that. And then they showed it all over again. And it was like, ugh. But then when I rewatched it, I was like, it's a totally different story than the first Spider-Man movie where, like, like, exactly like you said, he's more shaped by his parents to the point that his father is the one who says with great power comes great responsibility. And he doesn't really know that. I mean, he sort of does in the first one, but he doesn't know it until the second when he actually watches that video and his dad says it on the video. But there's so many different things where it's like, okay, if you don't like this in the one series, it's better in this other series or it's, you know, it's better in the other series sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so I, I would say I, like I said, I, I, it went downhill for me in the second one because he took Peter Parker, Toby, took him in this weird direction that I think the comics only touched on sometimes. And maybe they did in some of the portions that I didn't read. Um, obviously, there's a lot I haven't read. But Peter Parker has always been the guy where you look at the Parker luck and it's like, OK, there's always something bad that's going to happen to him. He never gets the girl, all this stuff. But the way that I kind of saw it in here was like you're they're portraying him as almost having a mental illness. And we'll dive into that when we get into Spider-Man 2, because I really think they kind of swing for the fences with that idea in that movie. And I personally wasn't a fan of that. Like, I love it for what they tried to do with it, because that's like before even The Dark Knight in terms of a really dark movie in a sense. But I just didn't feel like that was Spider-Man so much as uh, Andrew Garfield kind of imbibed that sort of kind of a devil may care attitude where he was a lot more funny than Peter part or Toby Maguire was, even though he still knew what his responsibility was, but he also knew how to say uh, no. And that's, I think was a huge difference. And I know we're, we're jumping around, but I, I guess I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on if like the way he's treated Mary Jane in the Spider-Man movies, he's like, I don't, I have nothing to do. I don't want anything to do with you. Like I love you, but I can't be with you. Whereas in the Garfield movies, He's explicitly told not to be with Gwen Stacy, and yet he can't pull himself away from her. And I just thought that that was two very different ways of looking at this sort of neuroses, I guess, that Peter Parker has. And I I didn't know if maybe you guys had thought about that at all or had any thoughts on it. And I guess, Anthony, I'll start with you. Um, The only thing that that was annoying, and especially watching it back to back to back between the Toby films, was you go into this, he's obsessed with Mary Jane. And then she's untouchable. And then she's like, hey, let's date. And he's like, oh, I can't. And then they're they're sad. And then they go through the motion over and over and over. I mean, for God's sakes, he breaks up a wedding 
and then she showed up. She shows up at, at his apartment, which at this point is he in college, just living yeah. in a New York apartment by himself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and... I, I didn't know it for sure, and I was looking up the Wikipedia stuff, like the plot on Wikipedia, because I was like, I want to have it fresh in my mind again. And it literally said this movie takes place two years after Spider Man One. Uh, Peter has estranged himself from his family, Mary Jane and Harry, and I was just like. What like again just really goes into that whole mental illness thing where he he just kind of secluded himself like a spider and it was like dude they want to be with you Mary Jane is saying I want you she's gorgeous why wouldn't you just take that and he doesn't and he he has every like he he can if he wants to there's no problem with them being together and it's it's almost like it's worse him saying no than saying yes because all that back and forth is just so bad for your mental health well and then even in three when then they are together and then you know harry forces her to to break it and i'm just like oh my god that's exhausting this yes. trope of you you want what you can't have and then as soon as you can't have it you can't and I'm, i was like all right i'm over it yeah <laughs> brian what about you yeah everything with mary jane being the girl next door that's untouchable really works for me in spider-man one I, I like the character of mary jane in spider-man one and then it completely flips on its head where she's not supposed to be the one chasing Peter Parker, and that's all we spend the entire second film doing. And even in the third one, she's engaged to another man, and and she's still chasing after another man. It makes me very uncomfortable. It just the the character development decisions that they made from film to film, and that's one thing. And you said you had to look it up on on Wikipedia that it's been two years, and he's he's removed himself from his friends and family. That's the kind of stuff I want told on screen. And I feel like that's where we're getting really spoiled between with the MCU now of we're seeing these stories play out even like i can tell you the love story of pepper potts and tony stark like the back of my hand because over yeah. we see that relationship grow and develop and it was all through contract disputes between marvel studios and gwyneth paltrow and everything else that was going on but they they develop those kinds of things and that's something that i think we really take for granted now when we go back and watch these sam raimi spider-man movies it's been two years and we just okay like Cool. So Mary Jane now chases Peter and he just doesn't want it. And like you said, it's a it's an odd mental health route to take for for Peter to remove himself there. And you can see why, like you said, he's reclusive like a spider. He's trying to not put anybody else in harm's way after what happens to Aunt May with the Green Goblin at the end of the first one. And but it just it just didn't it just didn't work for me. And we're in the minority here, Alex. Most people prefer Spider-Man 2 to Spider-Man 1. So you're making me feel better about myself. Yeah, I like I, it was weird because that movie is is uh, I'm sure all of you listening have heard one person or another be like Spider-Man 2 is the greatest uh, comic book movie of all time or the greatest movie of its genre. And I at the time I was like, yeah, you know, I, I could see that. That's fine. Like it's the sequel that beat out the original, all this stuff. And then when I'm rewatching, I was just like, I, I like I, I, I enjoy the movie. It is a good it's a really good movie. But I was just like. I don't like this movie. Like there are so many times during the movie where I was just like, I don't like that. Like that's so strange to me. And I don't, again, maybe it's because so much time has passed. There was another piece of it too around, you know, he's, he's struggling. He can't pay any bills. So you, you look at this from again, a, we're in a world now where mental health has been put so much more in the forefront of people's minds of make sure you take care of yourself, all this stuff. And you see this movie where no one's reaching out to him. He's not reaching out to anybody. And he has so many telltale signs of somebody who went through an insane amount of trauma and has not been able to share it with anybody. I mean, it takes him until Spider-Man 2 to even tell his aunt that 
he's the one, quote unquote, the one that caused Uncle Ben to die. But it's like, you know, all these signs, you got someone who can't hold a job, can't, you know, keep money, can't hold friends, can't hold a life for himself, can't pay rent. Like, that's really sad. And it's cool that they did that with a comic book film, because, again, I don't know of any other movie where it's been that in your face about that sort of stuff. But I just, again, I was like, that's not what Spider-Man is to me. Like, he always finds a way. He's always got a photo that he can submit to Jonah to get some money for it. And, yeah, he struggles to pay rent. But to the point where I'm groaning in the movie going, like, we get it. He can't hold a job. Like, he gets fired from the pizza place. He gets fired from this, that, the other. So it's crazy. Yeah, we're definitely in the same boat. Um, let me call out a couple of other things here that I thought was really funny. There was there was something about I said identical eye color in this first movie when him and Mary Jane are looking to their each other's eyes. They're both just like kind of like faded blue eyes. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know why that kind of set me off. I was like, OK, um, but I've got a huge highlight call out for the music score of him climbing the wall. I thought that was like that's like one of my favorite scenes, I think, from that movie is him finally climbing it. But then even when he's doing all the different web stuff, I don't know why I was just like, it's a little, I don't know, weird. But and then you find out like halfway through the movie that, oh, he's a senior in high school and he's about to graduate. OK, I didn't know if we were trying to make him a sophomore. What Like they never tell you. It's just like, oh, you know, graduation's coming up. And I was like, oh, OK, which I guess maybe these days we require more explanation for things. But kind of like what you were saying, Brian. Yeah, the web the web thing like it creeps me out. Like I don't yeah. know. And now is that a that's not even like comic book accurate, is it? Like it wasn't until later. There's a a storyline. Uh, I think it came out in like 2006, maybe 2007 ish, where he his actually his powers come from like a spider god or something like that, and he goes through this transformation where he actually gets organic webbing, and then of course it goes away after a while. But yeah, no, he always created them. So that was always weird when I first watched it too. I'm like, oh, they're like. I thought he would make his own web shooters because he's smart, but nope, they don't do that. So that wasn't, they always, they, I guess, well, you just answer the question, but I, I didn't know they weren't always organic. Yeah, that was like his famous thing was, you know, he's so smart that, and everyone always said that, like, why can't, it makes more sense that he would be able to have his own webbing, but it was always cool. It was like, no, he doesn't actually have his own webbing. He, he makes it all himself, like in his <laughs> free time when he's not doing any homework. Well, because I remember there was a huge outcry when Amazing Spider-Man came out when they're like, oh, he's got web shooters. It's not organic, like all the fanboys of the original Spider-Man. And I guess these weren't comic book fans that were just like, oh, well, he, uh, that's not the same. But yeah, it's like, realize. that's a good point. It's like, okay, what, what do you I do love about? when he just goes, go, web, go. And then he's like <laughs> doing the, the <laughs> like the Texas Longhorn thing with his hands <laughs> until he turns it the other way. Up, up, and away, web. <laughs> but then even even when he's shooting the webs, it's like, what, it just shoots out a bit of web, and if you don't aim in the right direction, it just goes away? Like, otherwise it stays there, because, you know, he, like, catches it, and it's a long web, but if he misses, it, it's just a little bit of web, and it just, I was like, just didn't add up to me. But the, even in his training, there were so many things he could have done differently, where he could have dodged certain things when he was running and all that, but that's that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Sam didn't call me asking for my opinion when he was filming. Um, I've got another one in here too, which again, you called it out already, Brian, but, uh, and I even had a note in Amazing Spider-Man too about, uh, I said that, where was it here? Basically, I really like uh, Uncle Ben. Both of the Uncle Bens, I think are great as a, as a character. I think, uh, and I don't remember his name, but he was in Flowers of Algernon in this first series. 
he was a phenomenal Uncle Ben. Martin Sheen did a really good job as Uncle Ben, too. It's just that the material that he was given for that story wasn't as good as this Uncle Ben. And so I just that scene is heartbreaking when him and Peter are in the car when he's about to drop him off to the uh, the wrestling place. And he's just like and it's funny because, again, I didn't I don't think I appreciated as much when I was younger uh, just because I kind of was like Peter in that sense where I'm like, just Ben, get on with it. Like, I get it. This is important. You're going to say the line, but I want to see him wrestle. And looking at it this time, I was like, Peter, stop. Like, dude, just <laughs> let Uncle Ben talk, please. This is the last time you get to talk to him. And he says all that stuff. And oh God, the way he delivers it all. And he's just like, I know, I know, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, and then he yells at him. But then he just says, I'll pick you up at 10. And so it's like, even though he's mad at him, and I, and again, great line too of the, hey, Michelangelo, we're painting the, the stuff, all <laughs> of that. And it just made it so heartbreaking. Not when Ben dies, which is really sad, but that scene when he drops him off, just because you know that's the last time that he's going to ever see him alive, which just is heart-wrenching. You guys get that same feeling? That actor is Cliff Robertson. Yeah, I completely Robertson. agree. Yeah, thank you. I, I really... And that's, this is one of the reasons why Spider-Man 3 is, of all these films, my least favorite by a lot. Because I think the story that they give Sandman and his involvement in the death of Ben Parker, they went to the well one too many times. It just didn't work for me at all. And I think it cheapened that moment. So, I I mean, I would love to stay with just what happens in Spider-Man 1 and and what that means to to Toby because they built out a, a good story around letting the guy go down the elevator because it's not my problem. Like miss the part where that's my problem or whatever the exact line is. But but yeah, uh, I think with great power comes great responsibility. It's entered. It's become cheapened because people use it so much. I think in Spider-Verse, Miles' dad said great power with great ability comes great accountability or something like that. And Miles <laughs> like, that's not how it goes, dad. But it just and I. The Ben stuff just worked really well for me. Like you said, they're a little bit older. And I mean, Aunt May keeps getting younger and younger as we go. But it just it all it all worked for me. I think Martin Sheen did a good job. But I think Cliff Robertson, he's Uncle Ben for me. Yeah, especially that was one of my other lines we would always do whenever we I don't call it cosplaying, I guess, make believe when we were kids, we would always play out certain scenes. And that was always the one because we always loved saying Peter when he's uh, lying there on the ground, it's like, no, Ben, no. Uh, but also at the same time, it's like, of course, you know, Peter's walking up to the place and there's the, the giant crowd. And, you know, as he gets a little closer, he's like, and it's like, of course, the one person that dies is Uncle Ben. Like in this, in this movie verse, hundreds of other people are there and this guy couldn't have picked any other car. Like, I get it for the Spider-Man story, but I was just like, come on, then. like, <laughs> let Ben live, please. Uh, but then we get his, you know, we get the great, I put notes in here, we get Bruce Campbell, we get Octavia Spencer in the wrestling scene uh, against Bonesaw with three minutes in the ring with me. I, uh, that, that whole bit was great. But there's also a continuity error in this movie. Uh, Dr. Connors fires Peter Parker. Uh, we don't know why, we don't know how. All we hear is that is a mention, I think, from not Aunt May. Somebody, somebody says Dr. Connors fired him. Or he maybe says it. Dr. Connors fired me. And I was like, wait, what? And then in the next movie, he's in Dr. Connors's class. So I don't know if maybe they were setting that as an Easter egg or something. Um, but also in this movie, both of these movies, one and two, there are Dr. Strange references. Did you guys, uh, you remember those at all? I know the second one, when J. Jonah Jameson say it, says it, I do not remember the first one. Uh, yeah, and this one. Yeah, and this one it was, I think I had a note in here about it, something where he's on Bleecker Street. 
he mentioned something about Bleecker Street. Unless that's in the... Oh, no, that's the second one. So he says, there's a billboard on Bleecker. He was like, oh, I saw you. There's a billboard on Bleecker. Uh, but then also when they're saying, what's Doc Ock's name? He's like, how about Doctor Strange? And he's like, oh, Doctor Strange, I like that. But it's already taken. And I was like, oh. So <laughs> Sam Raimi was really putting out a resume to direct Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which is kind of cool. I will say my I'm I'm disappointed in myself. I meant to when you introduced me on this podcast to say Bonesaw is ready and I forgot. Oh <laughs> Bonesaw <laughs> is ready. He was so oh man. He, have you ever gone as Bonesaw for Halloween? You don't want to see me in that outfit. Oh <laughs> <laughs> I think I do. Uh okay, cool. Uh also, okay, here's another nitpick I've got with this movie, and I'll see if you guys caught this ever. There are multiple scenes up until when Green Goblin is fighting Spider-Man in the like towards the end, like the uh, the fair scene or, or the parade scene, that one, and then there's another one as well where you can see his mouth through the mask, not moving, and it his or it's moving and it's incongruent with the words that he's speaking. And then later on at the very end, that last scene, he has a darker thing covering his mouth and you can't even see his mouth anymore. That has always bugged me every single time I've watched it. It's like ah, like his. It's just it. It doesn't look good to see if you're going to have a goblin mask like that, where it's this big piece of hardware. Don't show me the mouth like unless you're just doing a full face paint of a goblin. That's fine. But when it's a mask like like Iron Man, you wouldn't have a a cutout where Iron Man's mouth is so that you can see his <laughs> mouth moving. Like, I don't know. That just always kind of creeped me out. Got to drink water somehow, man. I guess. So. What does he cut the the little film fabric that's right there and then sip the water? He just pours it through it. He just, just pours, he just it pours fil- it through it's it. filtered water at that point. I I'm I have actually caught this multiple times, Alex. You're not you're not crazy. It it drives me it drives me nuts. Like I I just get bothered. My wife doesn't get it either. Like whenever I'm watching something that has any sort of audio delay, if the words don't match the mouth, I notice immediately. Mm-hmm. Yep. and it drives me absolutely insane. And every time I watch this movie, I notice it and it and it and it drives me nuts. Yeah, I noticed there was one point. I think it was on the rooftop when he's trying to like recruit Spider-Man to like, you know, d- do bad things with him. And he's talking, but then his mouth isn't moving at all. I'm like, all right, well, one one thing about that World Fair, uh, the parade, whatever we want to call it, scene when uh, the the one balloon starts to deflate and then it starts to like fall towards that kid, and Spider-Man is just like perched and screaming move kid come on kid and, and like the mom is screaming and the kid's just standing there that's my son just <laughs> not, just not listening not caring it's just like i'm just gonna stay in here and do what i want to do and then having to get swooped up and saved see i was i thought you were going in a different direction i was gonna say one why didn't he move he didn't look up and see something falling <laughs> and just walk out of the way but two it's just a balloon. Like if it had fallen on top of him, wouldn't that be no different than like your parachute falling on top of you when you land? Like he would have been fine, right? Probably it's got to be pretty heavy. A little heavy, but maybe so. Okay. Well, at least Spider-Man saved him, so I guess the argument can't be made. But yeah, yeah. I was just <laughs> come on, kid. Yeah, but when I first when I was watching it, he was like, "Come on, kid, come on," and I was like, "Spidey, just go save him." Like, just, what are you yeah. doing? Waiting for him to move? Just go save him. He's not gonna move. Yeah, even at the beginning of two, when he's trying to deliver the pizzas in time, and then he sees those kids uh, run in. One, there's too many kids playing with balls in New York City. Stop. In the middle of traffic. In the, yeah, <laughs> just stop. And then, yeah, it runs in, and then, like, both kids run after it, and then there's just a giant truck barreling down. It's And then he kind of, like, waits a second before he saves them, as if the kids are just going to be like, wait, no, this is a bad idea. Yeah, and then he throws the pizza up. 
And I was like, no, he didn't just do that. And he's going to do the catch. And they never show anything. And then the next scene is the pizza somehow landed on the edge of an apartment building. And I was like, oh, so he just has, he's really good aim. Spider-Man's reflexes are just, they're incredible. And speaking of those reflexes, we get to one of my other favorite scenes in this movie, which is the Matrix dodge scene and the burning building when he's You're dodging all of the talk goblins. bad about this are you it's my no, favorite scene in the no, whole that, okay, cool. i had so i i bought uh my first copy of spider-man i this was back when i only had dsl when i was a kid living in rural texas boot up that internet and got on ebay and i bought one of those spider-man box sets of the first movie that came with a asm the amazing fantasy 15 reprint uh, but it also came with a film cell from the movie and it's a film cell of him dodging those things. And I was like, this is perfect. No, that's that. Uh, the, yeah, that's my favorite scene in the movie. I'm just looking at this. Yes, I absolutely love that scene. I love the that's like the embodiment of Spider-Man when you've got a burning building. They're like, no, nobody let him in. And uh, and then Spider-Man shows up, immediately goes in. And the lady's like, oh, thank God, Spider-Man. But then when he comes out, they're like, We're, we need to take you in. And then you hear more screaming and the people are like, and go get him and he says i'm not coming back and they're like you know yeah. we'll be waiting for but i just that that was textbook spider-man not coming back course, chief yeah not coming back and then he swings back in there and it's the green goblin and i think that is one of the bits when you see with his mouth but great green goblin wearing a you know the little babushka and, and hiding behind <laughs> the, the blanket uh was just so great and that that leads into the thanksgiving scene because the one thing cuts his uh his arm but the fact that he just dodges so many and it's in slow motion like I almost like it better than the Matrix scene, but I don't want—I don't know if I'm going too far there. But right? think about how mad people would be now because that was the shot from every trailer we got for that film. That was the shot. That's a good point. Now I feel like Alex in 2021 would be just tearing that apart for the fact that you had seen it so many times before the film came out. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, times have changed. Also, I'm glad the, the Goblin noticed exactly where Spider-Man got cut on his arm, and then it was able to piece it together when he sees Peter with the exact same cut. Like, I feel like there's a lot going on. You don't exactly know where he gets cut, but yeah. But but again, good. that that to me was if you're trying to break it down in terms of like as the Goblin, he's got all these heightened senses, so it's like a really cool scene to show that off, that it's like not as cool as Spider-Man's sixth sense, but like the fact that he can hear a drop of blood from, you know, ten feet away, and that he can <laughs> laser spot a, a bleeding <laughs> uh, shirt to, a shirt uh, arm thing, so <laughs> shirt arm thing, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so okay, I've got next year too is, uh, and I love this, I said this felt very Raimi, uh, the Aunt May scene, where Goblin goes to get her at the house felt so much like Sam Raimi and just the whole I that haunted me when I was younger of the deliver us from evil when she's screaming it and uh hey ah, you know grabs her and takes her and then her <laughs> screaming in the I love that she can't say a single word until Peter Parker shows up and she says those horrible yellow lies and it's like oh, okay all right thanks Aunt May like you're old and uh but yeah no I, I i always thought that was cool i felt bad that she got put in that position but at the same time that's kind of i, I thought that aunt may weirdly enough is like the most comics accurate aunt may because for some reason they made her super old too in the in the beginning of the comics and so it was always like you're so old yet you never die like everything always seems to happen to her she gets kidnapped here or there and nothing ever happens and so it was cool to see that in the movie that like 
She's the victim of the goblin. She's the victim of Doc Ock. And then like she just she can't get away from danger. Yet nothing ever bad happens to her, which is kind of interesting. Uh, this also and, and I don't know if either of you guys caught it. This is more of a comics call out. But when he and I didn't and never caught it before. This is the first time I caught it. But when he grabs Spider-Man with the grappling hook and is carrying him away and to the church or wherever that is around the building, that's actually straight off of a comic book cover. Uh, I put it in my closet, uh, but I actually have a, a, a comic cover of it. It's from Amazing Spider-Man 39, but in the exact same shot of him just kind of dangling. He's got some of his costume a little bit off. And uh, that last scene, though, is just so good with him fighting Goblin. Uh, just in terms of being like Goblin has no idea really what he's going up against. Like he gets that he's figured out that it's Peter, but I don't think he really truly understands the power that Spider-Man has, which uh, is nice to see him get the crap. Well, I mean, he dies, but he also gets the crap beaten out of him, too. I think the hoverboard is just so cool. Everything yeah. about Goblin's hoverboard is, is awesome. And the fact that it's ultimately the end of his life because of it, like, yeah, all, all that just. I think they tell a good story of the origin of not only Green Goblin, but the tech that Green Goblin has available to him. They don't just do the mm -hmm. Bruce Wayne of he's got all the money, so he's got, therefore, all these things. Like, it's literally brand new technology, and they show it. Like, you know what's coming, obviously, but they do a good job at showing you the suit and showing you the hoverboard and how he gets it. I think it uh, it, it makes a lot of sense, and I just think that hoverboard is is really, really cool. I like it. Yeah, yeah, it's so much. It's so much better than Harry's snowboard and oh, Spider-Man yeah. Three. Oh yeah, <laughs> garbage snowboard. <laughs> it uh, there's a bit where um, as you watch him, he's kind of just a normal guy. Like he's not really that bad of a man, and I guess we don't know too much. But he's not really that bad until he gets the Goblin Serum, in a sense, because you you see it, and it's like he just wants to keep his contract. Like, and he's, everyone's kind of doing everything by the books and he's really excited when the government comes in to like, talk to him about the contract. He's like, Hey, you know, we've all been working really hard and all this stuff. He's not, he doesn't sound at all like a jerk. And it isn't until that one guy's like, you know, it's not ready. And he's like, what do you mean? It's not ready. And then gets really mad at him, but it's because he doesn't want to lose the contract. And so I liked how, and even in that respect, you know, they're like, Oh, we need to do human trials. He could have easily been like, all right, let's get a couple people in here and do some human trials. I don't care. He's like, test me, test it on myself. And so I, I thought that was really cool that he essentially was in and of himself trying to save his company which is, I don't know, just the way that you, know, you juxtapose that with the Norman Osborn from Amazing Spider-Man, where he seemed he seemed a lot more sinister beforehand than this Norman Osborn was, who was kind of just, he was a scientist that's making a ton of money and needed more money in order to m develop these products that he has. But the government's obviously trying to cut him out. So I, I kind of like that. Totally agree. And then we get the line when he gets stabbed, when he says, don't tell Harry. And, uh, you know, he dies. And then we get one of my other favorite. This was a line. I don't know why I have this memory, but there was a, a friend of mine when I was growing up. We, he would say this. I don't know if it was after the movie or what, but I just remember him going, uh, I swear in my father's grave, Spider-Man will pay. One day, Spider-Man will pay. And it was like, he says, he says it twice in his line, and I get that Harry's upset. But I don't know. I just felt so bad for him. It, it made sense in this movie into the second movie. But I like, kind of like we talked about earlier, I love when his butler shows up and kind of tells him what's what, because I was like, dude, you've got this psycho vendetta against Spider-Man. And I get that he thought 
Spider-Man killed his father, but everyone's telling him, like, Spider-Man didn't kill your father. Look at every other act that Spider-Man has done. All he wants to do is help people. There's probably a deeper story here, yet Harry never wants to deal with it until, obviously, Spider-Man 3. And why would he bring him back home? Yeah, exactly. Why would, yeah, you see him bring him, yeah, like, who, if you're gonna, exactly, thank you. Also, I'd be like, hey, man, how do you know he lives here? Or even, like, dude, did you kill my dad? And then the guy would be like, no, and then, like, run off, like, jump off. No, he killed himself, (laughs) and then then leaves. I guess that'd be awkward, but, yeah, that is, that's a good point. That's really weird. And then, yeah, I I put here, too, Peter Parker, dumbest man alive. Uh, turning down MJ. And I said, that's who he is. He's just the dumbest man alive. Like, you're in a funeral. Emotions are running high. And MJ is throwing herself in front of you, man. She's pouring her heart out to you. And you turn her down? It doesn't fly with me. That that couldn't be me. Yeah, Will Ferrell from Wedding Crashers is just kicking cans right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, and you know, and I put it here, too. <laughs> that's that's perfect, Brian. Thank you. Uh, the movie's actually only an hour and 56 minutes long without the credits, which yeah. I thought was really impressive for the amount that they put in this movie and with the bloated nature of what movies are these days. And honestly, I don't care about the, the quote-unquote bloat. I like that. More of a good movie is always great. But I just thought that it was cool that they were able to pull off the one of the arguably most successful superhero movies at the time with a less than two-hour runtime. Yeah, I mean, if you if you compare this film, like let's say the the closest superhero film to this was Batman and Robin, probably like big blockbuster superhero films. It probably maybe X maybe X Men X Men. No, yeah. X Men probably the right answer. X Men so too. X Men's kind of where you were going into the quote unquote modern era of of superhero films. Now this film is a lot closer to what we have now than something like Batman and Robin. X Men's probably even more so like what we have now than, than Spider-Man is. But I think they, I will give them credit to, they knew what they wanted to do. They stuck to what they wanted to do and they told a good story. Even so in the second one, I still, for the most part, feel like that's pretty accurate. And then Sony got involved in Spider-Man three and Venom and and everything else that kind of came out of that was, was dragging that film down. But uh, to your point, Alex, the fact that it's under two hours, they knew what they wanted to do. They got in, they got out, they got it over with. And I think that that's for the best, because the only other way you build out this film is to get really uncomfortable scenes of Mary Jane's home life or or oh, something like yeah. that. Something that we I don't think we we needed. Yeah, those scenes were uh, really sad to watch, too, especially in terms of like you assume this has happened so many more times before. Right. And clearly the walls are really thing like that would be such a tough childhood. Not obviously tough for Mary Jane, too, but in the the realm of Peter Parker, like, man, I'd be feeling so bad for Mary Jane having to hear that all the time. Like, it makes sense that he would want to be kind of like her protector, but it still just doesn't add up when you when you look at like. The opening quote of the movie is his voiceover where he says, this is a story about a girl. And it's like, okay, but this girl wants you at the end of this movie and you say no? Okay, so. Nah. <laughs> nah, nah, I'm good. Though, and my last note on here was the coolest ending with him web swinging around and then landing on the flagpole. So very American after 9-11. I think that was one of the reasons why the movie did so well, too. I've heard talk pieces about that of, like, it kind of reinvigorated the, you know, oh, we can do this. We can come back. We can, you know, superheroes are great. There's something to to live up to. But yeah, so that was America, yeah. but New York City. Oh yeah. Oh, good point. Yeah, in New York City, we are New York. Yeah, good point. 
Uh, but yeah, Spider-Man 2, first note here, pizza time. Uh, pizza time. <laughs> another cla- classic line that came right with a classic uh, skit of uh, Tobey Maguire in a broom closet as he's trying to get out and 16 broom handles keep coming <laughs> at him as he tries to put them back in. And I was just, and I put down, he's so aloof. Like, he doesn't know what's going on. And I don't get it. He has no friends to distract him. He has no girlfriend to distract him. No aunt knocking at his door. Uh, the only person, I guess, would be the the guy <laughs> who's asking him for rent. But, like, rent. you can't have that much on your mind to where you are aloof about everything. Like, I feel like being alone, he would have kind of discovered who he was and maybe been a bit more confident. But, again, I think that leans more into this whole mental trauma that he's dealing with. And this is the first time that you see it. It's like, okay, he gets reamed out by uh, his pizza boss. And... Uh, you know, oh, every time you, you go, you're late. And it's like, dude, how could you be late? You're Spider-Man. And you start seeing like, okay, this is the signs of somebody who has some mental problems where they can't manage their time properly, even when they can swing across the city in a single bound. Like, it just didn't make sense. Yeah, and how he could even think he would make, was it like 47 blocks in eight minutes? It, exactly like what is that that's a uh an overhyped sense of confidence or something like that because like the guy even says it this is impo- like you're not going to be able to do it and even as fans we're like spider-man can do that but when i was rewatching, i was like 47 blocks in eight minutes there's no way there's no possible right. way. and it doesn't happen and the fact that he even tries to go on a scooter so what are you doing man <laughs> <laughs> yeah zipping between him and yet did you you see his face he's got this dumb like dumb look on his face almost the entire movie and he just shows up to the thing and puts the pizzas down and she's like i'm not paying for those and he just keeps looking at her with that dumb face it's just like thanks and like goes i'm like dude you've got he's got (laughs) tries to leave through the broom closet (laughs) what what are you doing (laughs) like what is going on with you also i live in central florida i don't think there's a single pizza place around me that delivers within a 47 block radius let alone new york city like what is that business doing like you can't keep those kind of guarantees in that type of city anyway with a 47 block radius. Yeah, like Jimmy John's, I think what their model is like freaky fast delivery or something like that. They stop delivery within like a two mile radius of their yeah. shops. <laughs> yeah, they, that's yeah, it's so it's bad. Good. Plus, I wouldn't have even hired him if I'd have seen his bike helmet. <laughs> absolute nerd bike helmet. I'm like, sorry, dude. No, you need to go down down the road to Loser's Pizza. Uh, I've got, I said, uh, so Dr. Connors, I, I, Anthony, you might know this. Dr. Connors is the principal from Trick or Treat. You know what? We started to watch that, uh, I guess in October and we watched like the first half an hour and then we ended up just turning it off. My wife's like, no. this isn't a good movie. Oh, that's like my like, uh, classic favorite movies. But yeah, he's uh, principal Wilkins. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Uh, what were you going to say something, Brian? No, not at all. Trick or Treat was the best Universal Halloween Horror Nights house a couple years ago, though. Oh, that would have been cool. Rub it in, will ya? Yeah, for real. Next (laughs) next time, baby. Next Next time, time. baby. There we go. Uh, I've got my first uh, call-out scene here in Spider-Man 2 that was a legitimately really good scene, and I hated it, is the Aunt May money scene at his birthday. So that's where you, you kind of, if you didn't know before, it's like, oh, the gang's getting back together. Clearly... MJ and Harry haven't really talked to each other or yeah, yeah, they haven't really talked to each other because they were dating in the first movie and clearly haven't talked to Peter and they're talking with Aunt May. You kind of get the situation. We get that 
I, 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 like, I started getting choked up as I was watching it because I, I forgot about it. But just her being like, you know, you see all the bills on the, the table and she goes and grabs a $20 bill from her wallet and is like, happy birthday, Peter. And he's like, I can't take this. And she's like, you can take this and you will. And, you know, oh, don't think of me as this old woman. And I was just so sad watching that because she killed the performance of it. But I guess like I, I hated that scene because it's like, why? But again, as I'm, a, I'm I guess I am a millennial, but in this current day and age why isn't peter living with aunt may i don't like it was like this stigma of oh i've got to go out on my own and, and live in an apartment and he can't afford his apartment and aunt may can't afford her house why wouldn't they just live together and tag team it yeah they would <laughs> yeah right I mean, like, especially I, now they definitely would yeah but, which i think is a product of its times that you know during back then what was that 15 years ago or whatever uh, I don't think people look too positively on, you know, oh, I'm still living with my parents. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I still I still think even today, though, like it's still a, I'm going to go make it on my own in New York City kind of deal. So I think it would still kind of happen. But yeah, I think now, especially post pandemic, people just know, hey, you got to live where you got to live. And that's just kind of kind of be how it is. So I think that's part of it, too. Yeah, it's just wild. Um, but yeah, we get the introduction of uh, the new villain, the villain of this film who was introduced. Uh, and this was an interesting call out too that both villains, Green Goblin and Doc Ock, also have mental illness. And they also happen to have the exact same mental illness of having a dual identity caused by some sort of device. So you've got Green Goblin with his goblin identity, which is just, you know, Norman Osborne going crazy. But here you have the same thing with Doc Ock having these arms kind of turning his personality into a different personality. And again, good or bad with these films, I thought it was really cool that the, his Spider-Man's villains kind of have the same problem as him. Because in a weird way, he kind of has a, a dual identity disorder too, that he struggles between being Peter Parker, being Spider-Man, and, and trying to delineate that, that work-life balance that he just has absolutely zero grasp over. You think he has a dual identity in this movie? Wait till the next one. <laughs> I'm going to put some dirt in your eye. Actually, I don't want to spoil any of the great lines that are coming from that movie because that movie is – we're going to be honoring that movie is all I'm going to say. Um, but, yeah, we get a great line, tritium, only 25 pounds on the planet. I'm like, what is this, vibranium? Some brand new, you know, oh, tritium. And, and the whole the whole situation – I love this. Again, in a, in a movie, Peter can't pay his bills. He, he can't hold a friendship. And he isn't going to class, yet the, the teacher's like – Peter, I see so many great things in you. And again, based on continuity, this teacher already fired him from a prior job. <laughs> Dr. Connors is like, you haven't turned in, you know, blah, 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 all these papers. But I've got a friend I might be able to hook you up with who's going to give you some great advice. He's actually the most prominent scientist in New York, Peter. Don't <laughs> screw this up. And it's like, yeah, look at his track record. He's going to screw it up. And I, lo I loved that, though, because when he shows up to Doc Ock and he's like, ah, Peter Parker, Connors tells me you're lazy. And I was just like, <laughs> I don't in, in, you know, our professions, I feel like that's not the the reputation that you want when you're meeting somebody new is for them to meet. you be like, I hear you're lazy. It's like, dude, but then you get this whole drawn out bit with with him and his wife of. They clearly love each other and they're very in love. And Peter, you have a little special someone. And he's like, no, I don't. My mental my mental disorder does not allow me to hold relationships very well. But uh, gosh, you get the whole whole bit of all of that. And then you get to the classic line of, again, a, group, a giant group of people, including the press, 
watching a man put giant hazardous metal arms on his body and no one going, this could be a problem. And it immediately becomes a problem. His wife dies and we get the birth of Dr. Octopus. Brian, we'll start with you. Uh, I know I'm joking at this point. I, I actually, I we'll see as the conversation goes on. Doc Ock's not one of my favorite villains movie-wise, but I thought Alfred Molina as the good guy, Doc Ock, I really liked. Like, I liked him being this sort of muse for Peter Parker, where he always has the perfect line to say. He's quoting poetry, and he's incredibly smart, and he's got a, a beautiful wife that also loves him because of how smart he is, all this really great stuff. But what, what did you think of Doc Ock as a villain and a good guy? Honestly, I'm I'm the complete opposite. I think Otto Octavius is super awkward and really just really a bit magoo for lack of a better way to put it. <laughs> really just kind of drives me drives me a little bit nuts. He does always have the right thing to say. I do like the relationship that he has with his wife, but I feel like he's just kind of aloof and I I I mean I think that's how the the character was meant to be portrayed. I don't think that's anything against Alfred Molina. I think he did exactly what he was supposed to do. I actually really like the villain of, of, of Doc Ock. Um, so that's interesting that you, that we're kind of complete opposite there. Something you were talking about with Aunt May specifically them, but the only, the line I remember most from this film is happy to pay the bills. Otto yeah. <laughs> did, did Harry ever offer financial support to Peter at any point in this film? Am I forgetting that? I don't think so, but based on his character, I think it's inferred that he wouldn't take it because there's I, multiple, like with Aunt May offering him money and he was like, no, right. I can't take it. I, I know. Actually, I think it may have even been mentioned because he says, I feel like he says something like, oh, no, no, no. That's in the it's implied in the first movie, because when Norman says, you know, I could get you a job. And yeah. he says, I prefer to earn what what I whatever. And he yeah. goes, I like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that whole dinner scene's great. But yeah, so I think it's inferred that he probably wouldn't accept any money. Fair enough. But yeah, so that's that's where I'm at. I, I actually I like the love story aspect, his marriage part, but everything that is just straight Alfred Molina Otto Octavius actually is a little bit, I don't know, plain for me, if for lack of a better term. Okay. What is it that you don't like uh, or what is it that you like about Doc Ock as a villain. I think how calculated he is. I think the the way he uses those robotic arms is really interesting. The abilities that those have. I think that really jumped off screen from a visual standpoint of how cool this villain is and how cool this villain can be uh, picking up cars and, and everything else. I just think he's he's smart and he's calculated. And I mean, again, chasing after 25 pounds of tritium, like it's only so much that that you can do, but I, I think that the the decisions he makes building his layer where he does to perform the final whatever before it has to sink into the ocean, I think mm -hmm. a lot of that actually makes a lot of sense, and he makes calculated decisions anticipating. I think something Green Goblin didn't do a good job of that I think Doc Ock did is anticipating Spider-Man's next move rather yeah. than reacting. He was more, uh, what is the word I'm, I'm looking for? He was more anticipating uh, mm -hmm. Spider-Man's next move, and he was always trying to one-up Spider-Man, whereas I think Goblin was a lot more reactive. Yeah, I wonder if that's because his arms are connected to his spine in terms of, you know, that reaction time, that he's, you know, they're almost able to, he's anticipating Spider-Man's movements, or he's catching him before he does something, whereas Green Goblin doesn't have that sort of thing. That's a good point. But, he, but even so, knowing, like, hey, if I steal her, this is what he's going to do, he's going to come here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Even thinking into the future, but from an action standpoint, absolutely, I agree with you there, too. Yeah. What about you, Anthony? 
Uh, I really enjoy Doc Ock. Um, in my villains rankings, he's he's pretty high up there. Um, I will say, I think when they attached to his spine, that would have hurt a lot more than it did. Yeah, he, he, I, that would have been funny, him screaming. He just, <laughs> just top of his <laughs> like a little girl. I mean, he just stood up there like a champ. Like, yeah, I know. Like, like, it, like it's a cute nurse giving him a shot. He's like, okay, don't, <laughs> don't, don't be a baby about it. Don't be a baby. As like 55 needles just pierce yeah. his spine. Um, I, I, I love the special effects. I have a lot of nostalgia behind this movie that yeah. I'll talk about later. Um, I mean, the special effects were fantastic. The, you know, the scene on like the subway train after the bank robbery and just so much the the combat between spider-man and, and doc ock i absolutely loved it um i didn't love that they sounded like dinosaurs like <laughs> all the all the screeching like when they would like talk to him i'm like that's like a velociraptor just kind of like a prodded with like a taser i guess but, i missed that part because i was in standard definition so i didn't hear that audio quality oh yeah that you had to be in surround sound yeah, no, for sure, for sure. <laughs> that that was left. That was left. Left rear speaker only. <laughs> um, no, I mean, you know, again, this movie has its its ups and downs. It, you can definitely tell, and there's t- two parts in it that were very Raimi that almost reminded me like Michael Bay, like his filming style. And it's when he's climbing up the building with Aunt May, and then you shoot to that like uh, office. And everyone's like, oh, what's going on? Because the building's rattling. And then you just, you you see, like, the vibration. And then it, like, zooms in on that one woman. And then she's like, and then it zooms in closer. And then it zooms in closer. And then it zooms out. And then it's just, she's running straight towards the camera, screaming. And then runs <laughs> off. And then the second time, uh, when Mary Jane and Peter are in that, like, coffee shop. And then Doc Ock shows up. And then it's just Mary Jane and Peter standing next to each other. And it just keeps zooming in on their face. And then vibration keeps zooming in. I'm like, what am I watching here? It just oh rem- yeah yeah yeah. It, it reminded me of like Michael Bay when he always has that like slow motion shot from a foot up off the ground, and then there's you know a beautiful woman standing there with a martini walking on the street. <laughs> just <laughs> but but again, the best visual shot of the whole film is the car coming through that cafe window, and again ruined in the trailer. Oh, see, and I don't even remember remember that trailer, but that's. Did you rewatch awesome. these trailers, or do you have the memory of a polar bear? Uh, I'd have to say the latter. I didn't rewatch the trailers, but I I remember the Matrix one from the first movie from the first movie being the end of the trailer, and then the scene of him with this spider sense and the cab coming through the window of the cafe when mm-hmm. he's with Mary Jane. So I wow. guess the memory of a polar bear, I suppose, is the answer to your question. Okay. All right. All I remember is that I I collected the little like holographic cards that came in the Lunchables. Uh, there was like <laughs> six of them for Spider-Man Two. One of them was like a you know you would you would uh, move it and it would do like a motion and it was when Doc Ock flipping one of the uh, the taxi when he gets out of the hospital. And uh, I just remember and I, I had them all saved. I put them all in my little DVD case as like a little collector's item. And then I upgraded to the Blu-rays. But if um, this episode <laughs> ended, and I would be inserting, hello, I'm Wilford Brimley, and I'd like to talk diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, that brings up a, you mentioned this earlier, Brian, that that's where my Raimi scene was, was during uh, the hospital. He they're they're trying to operate on his arms and they get that one guy who grabs the chainsaw and he's just got the little chainsaw on his hand that looks exactly like Ash from Evil 
dead. Yeah, Obviously, what's that he gets chainsaw uh, doing in that OR. Like, yeah, that's, and it's a tiny. You think that's going to cut through the arm? It's like <laughs> it's the size of his his own arm. It's not long <laughs> enough. It's not big enough. And uh, but yeah, that that was all super funny. But it was again, I like that concept. You knew it was coming a mile away. Uh, how, how do we know you're not going to turn into a villain by this very small chip on the back of my <laughs> neck? That uh, whoop! I got to be careful. I might break it myself. <laughs> Smallest oh, chip. The first thing that breaks, you're like, oh, surprise, surprise. But it was cool to see how you know they kind of the arms took over for him, and it was even cooler. That was probably one of my favorite bits of the movie is at the end when he overtakes the arms to kind of show that, again, you know, whether that's looking at it from a mental illness perspective, but just from him as, you know, overcoming his demons in a sense that he is more powerful than these arms, whereas obviously Green Goblin was a little bit more of a uh, kind of a slave to his other his other alter ego. Uh, I got a note here, too. Well, Joe McHale was the banker in yeah. uh, the bank. Uh, but I also have a note here that Peter abandons Aunt May in the bank. And uh, again, the entire Doc Ock fight could have been avoided. Of course, he grabs Aunt May. But the minute that uh, Doc Ock busts in, he should have been like, all right, May, let's get out of here. You're my number one priority. And then I will come back and deal with all this again. Peter has a prioritization problem. And he does this in every piece of his life. He's always abandoning Aunt May. And it, it made me mad because I'm like, this woman would – she would take a bullet for you and uh, has in the comics. And, you know, it's just unbelievable to me. Oh, but we missed a line too. I got to call this out. This was a great Harry Harry Osborne line. Uh, he said after after the incident with Doc Ock, he goes, I'm ruined. I have nothing else except Spider-Man. <laughs> I was like, dude, you are obsessed. <laughs> also, he has a, a bunch of trinium. Because apparently he's the only person yeah, that has it, he has and a lot of it pounds. is in, in New York City. So yeah. no, you got something, buddy. Got some <laughs> I'm with you on on Doc Ock kind of overcoming his demons and kind of overriding the arms at the end of the film. And jumping ahead a little bit, that's where I'm very very interested where we're picking up in No Way Home 100%. because. To our understanding, and what Alfred Molina has said is, it's picking up pretty much right at the end of Spider-Man Two, and then he's going to be yanked through the multiverse in this point. So why is he not, why does he not have that conviction or, or what's going on there? So I'm very interested to, to kind of see what that, cause I, I genuinely thought he had overcome those demons. And this is where I'm kind of of the opinion that I think we're going to deal with Otto Octavius and not Doc Ock, the villain in no way home a little bit more. Yeah. I'm curious too. Cause I know the, for those of you out there avoiding spoilers, don't watch anything on the internet but they have released two it looked like two clips you, you shared us that one clip which is just right at the apparently it's the very beginning of the movie which again you see it in the trailers of him kind of swinging around trying to avoid the paparazzi because everyone knows he's spider-man uh but when you shared that brian i was like ah oh, you know what i'll just go watch it uh and i i googled on twitter you know spider-man uh, clip and i actually watched the doc ock clip of when he shows up and says hello peter and it's like the same thing. It was a 40-second clip of him on this bridge. And I don't remember what he says, which is good because that you know we can avoid the spoiler for it. But he mentioned something about it. So okay. if, if you yeah, wanted to watch that clip. Out there. I didn't know that. Yeah. Could, yeah. Right. So And I, again, I think I just typed in Spider-Man. I just said No Way Home clip. And that was like, the first, again, 40 seconds. And it's him. It's pretty cool. He actually like said there's a car that falls off the bridge. And he kind of just like catches it with his web. But Ox says something to him to the effect of like, we were just not we were just talking, you know, in the the uh, harbor or whatever. But he says something like that where I was like, ooh, maybe could give you a hint 
of where you know he's left off in this universe. But yes, we're going to get to that at the end too when we talk about what we think is happening because I do have a couple of theories as I watched these films. Um, so yeah, Peter, uh, uh, John Jameson is the guy from Vampire Diaries. Uh, I had to call that out as well, which was interesting. I liked that storyline just because I'm a huge John Jameson fan because he's a man wolf and his whole thing with him being a NASA scientist. I loved that. It was great to see. Uh, I'm going to, I don't remember his name, but John J. Jonah Jameson, uh, J.K. Simmons. Simmons. Thank you. Yeah, he was great in this movie. And I love the bit when he gives up being Spider-Man and he's in his costume and on his <laughs> desk shooting around, shooting webs. I thought that was just clat like so good. He absolutely chewed up this role this time around. Only a deleted that- scene, though. I don't think it's official. Yeah, that was in Spider-Man 2.1. Yeah. Oh, I, I was wa- I was watching the extended version. That's true. The director's cut in standard definition. <laughs> was uh, it in Was it Spider Man Three when he has his suit, and then it's up on the wall, and then he steals it back? Or is that in two? Th- that's this one. So he, I'm trying to, I don't have any notes about it, but I think it was Doc Ock humiliating him. And, okay, so and then uh, when, he, when he's got the suit like pinned up on the wall, and then he's like, "Man, maybe we did need Spider Man." He maybe he was a hero, and then Spider Man steals the suit back. He goes, "He's a criminal. He's a criminal." Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yes, <laughs> completely flips. Uh, can I put on my tinfoil hat for a second, please? So one thing that I would think, and it's never going to happen, but I thought it would be interesting. Okay, so th- this is Spider Man Two is when Bruce Campbell is the like attendant at the theater, correct? correct? Okay, so when Spider Man is on his way to the theater, and then that. You know, car chase takes over and then he flips in front of the car and he's not in his Spider-Man costume. And then there's the two kids that see him and they're like, oh, my God, how'd you do that? And and he's like, oh, get a lot of sleep. And then he says, you know, eat your green vegetables. And then one kid says, my mom always tells me that. How funny would it be if one of those kids came back and ended up being Miles to this Peter's like in this giant multiverse thing? I was like. Like, oh, and then you can say, there's your miles. There's one of them. That's pretty cool. Because the age difference is definitely there. But I mean, yeah, I like that. It would never happen, but that would be a deep, 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 deep cut. (laughs) That's something the MCU would do in their MCU sandbox. But yeah, I can't trust Sony with anything at this point. Unless it's animated, which I don't understand. It's how can, how can Sony make a fantastic animated Spider-Man? You know why? It's because it's because they, in in a sense, they don't care. I feel like that's what their their mind was like. They're like, hey, you know, we're we're, we're thinking about making uh, the Spider-Man movie, and I bet the you know Lord and Miller were probably talking with a couple of people too. Like, here's how you pitch it to them too. Just like say that it's a run of the mill animated movie, blah 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 blah. And so yeah, Sony's like, yeah, you know, I like that. We could do that. Yeah, just whatever, go do it. And like, didn't think twice about it. Whereas all they, because all they care about is live action. So I, I bet it was because they thought, you know, it's animated, whatever, just do whatever you want with it. And they they did, and it paid off. Struck gold. Yeah, for real. Yeah, and I know we won't be talking about that movie, uh, Anthony. I don't know about you. I know Brian has mentioned it. Uh, but it's the same for me in, in terms of that would be my number one Spider-Man movie. Uh, but we are only talking about the live action ones here, so we will not be including that on a ranking, which I like because, again, there's no contest. But is it the same for you? Is, is uh, Into the Spider-Verse your favorite Spider-Man movie? Uh, it would be... I think it would be second, honestly. Okay, okay. Um, hey, that's still I, pretty good. It's one of those movies that every time I hear somebody say it's the best Spider-Man movie ever, 
all I can think of, it was okay. But then every time I watch it, I'm like, okay, this movie was fantastic. Like yeah. I, I've watched it twice. Okay. And <laughs> I've, I've watched it twice in the past probably week and a half because it's on FX now, and Connor will watch it now. So I'm like, I'll go ahead and turn this on. And then every time I do, I'm like, okay, yeah, this movie was fantastic. It was pretty good. But yeah, I don't yeah. know. I, I, Alex I, said I, best Spider-Man movie. <clears throat> For me, it's the best animated movie of all. That's right. You have that claim. I, I, I heard you say that, and I said, I don't know if I agree with that, but that's because I don't have enough time to analyze all of the animated movies I've seen. But it would definitely be very high up there for sure. What about the 2018 Grinch? Where's that at? I haven't seen that Grinch. Uh, it's on my list. Uh, it's on my naughty list, you could say. I'm not really wanting to see it. I'm a I'm a Boris Karloff Grinch first and foremost. And even if that movie didn't exist, I'm a Jim Carrey man. So uh, we've got we've had two great men, two great guys playing the Grinch. I don't need Benedict Cumber Grinch to play the Grinch again. So. Uh, like I said, I mean, I, when that movie came out, I'll say this. I did go see the Lorax in theaters on a date when I was in college. And I was like, it's, it's fine. Like, I had no complaints. But when I heard, saw the Grinch trailer, I was like, why? We, we didn't need this. No one asked for it. We've got two great Grinch movies already. We don't need a third Grinch. Thank you. Can we, get, can we get another animated Grinch, but Kevin Hart is the voice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that. that sounds great. I'm trying to think who's in there. Yeah, Cindy Lou Who. Who would, uh, we can't we can't do a fan cast right now of the Grinch. That's gonna, <laughs> we'll save that for our <laughs> the Grinch saga movie uh, episode. Whenever the fourth Grinch movie inevitably comes out, um, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, okay, so we got next on here. I said finally MJ stands up to Peter, which I think is incredibly important because she has been a doormat for a movie and a half at this point. And especially in this one of like, oh, Peter magically, surprise, surprise, he didn't show up to, you know, the thing. And so she finally tells him off. And I loved that it was, you know, during this coronation with, uh, you know, John, I think them actually announcing their engagement. And she takes the time to talk one on one with Peter Parker outside and is like, I can't do this anymore. And I was just clapping. I was like, thank you, MJ. Like, finally, someone needs to stand up to him and let him know that this behavior will not be tolerated. Man, you are just changing the entire way I'm. I should watch this film. I don't think I'm ever going to watch this film the same way. I, I mean, I knew about <laughs> the stuff and the prioritization issues, but I never really thought about it the way you're describing it. And you are 100% accurate in everything that you've said. Just like, and again, I don't know if that's because you know I, I'm older now. Now that I'm watching these movies, but I'm just looking at it like. Peter, you don't know how good you have it. Like, you have superpowers. And we're going to get to it when we talk about Spider-Man 3, because I disagree with you about that Sandman thing. Because I think that sends an even more powerful message to him when he finds out that it wasn't his fault that he killed Uncle Ben. You know what I mean? Like, he, it wasn't that guy. That guy didn't kill Uncle Ben. It was the Sandman that did it. So now, Peter... You should be free. Like, you should be able to mentally accept that and mentally move on. But I'll say the way that he does it in that third movie is terrible in that he, you know, literally rejects Uncle Ben in that flashback that he has with him. And I was like, that's just, that felt really wrong to me. But it was like, they're literally giving Peter every opportunity to become a better person and to, to finally make good again. Okay, there's a car. It's all it was was a car chase. You promised her to go to this movie or to go to her show, just go to her show and then deal with it later. But again, you know, you look at somebody who has anxiety, they're not going to be able to do that. They're going to be tapping their toe the entire time they're in the show going, oh, that bad guy could have gotten away. It's like, 
those cops, they have a job. They're going to do it. Like, they'll catch the guy. You can let it go for one night, and he can. It's crazy. Uh, and, yeah, we get to a spot here, too. I've got another, another fantastic Harry Osborne line uh, when he is confronted by Peter uh, trying to get – I believe he's trying to, what, get, like, an audience with Spider-Man or something. And he says, like, no, you know, blah, 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 and he's at his house, and he says – I find him with my father's body and you defend him because he's your bread and butter. And the way <laughs> the way that he says it is just it felt I, I personally thought in this movie and in the third movie, that was like peak. Uh, I think I said it even in here. Yeah. Epic James Franco performance like this is this was like the hints of where he was going to be. And like this is the end and Pineapple Express. He's got this very you know, kind of almost stoner way of talking. And it's so cool because he's like this big executive and he's inherited all this power. Uh, but he's just such a dummy whenever he opens his mouth. Like, it's always these really <laughs> funny lines that just don't make sense. I just really wish we had Harry Osborne saying, oh, hi, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Um, but yes, we got that. And then I even had it here, too. It happens again. MJ, I think, is trying to says something to him because and i didn't put the quote down but all i said was duh you have a choice idiot uh so i think he said something like i don't have a choice and it's like yes you do peter like you always have a choice it's you, you are creating this uh this reality and oh yeah i know that's in this movie i said that here he rejects uncle ben i think he he confronts uncle ben in his dream or something in this movie and he's trying to give the whole without, you know, great power comes great responsibility. And he says, like, no. And this is the point when he says he uh, he does the, the famous Spider-Man no more shot where he's got his costume thrown away in the um, in the trash. But I just thought that was so wrong. Like, I, I get you saying, hey, Uncle Ben, thank you for what you've given me, but I need to chart my own path. But the way that he explains it to him, almost telling him like he's wrong. And that you've put all this guilt onto me. And it's like, no, Peter, you kind of did this to yourself. I thought it was really weird. Do you remember do you guys remember that scene at all? Yeah, I don't disagree with with what you've with what you've said about it. It's it's super, super weird and very out of character and just doesn't make a ton of sense. He tells uh Mary Jane he has no choice, but he has to do it, and then he completely rejects everything that he's said throughout the film. Yeah. It's very incongruent. Uh, and then I said, oh, good, another burning building. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't even remember what the bit was, but I was like, he just runs into another burning building to get people. I'm trying to remember, was there even anything to that? Was it a setup for Doc Ock or something where Doc Ock grabs him from the burning building? Or I, I don't know. I was just like, why are we looking at another burning building? Just to make him feel heroic again. I'm, I yeah, guess. There was, there was a kid in a closet, but I don't remember. Yeah. I think. I, I don't know. Honestly, I've watched five Spider-Man movies in the past, like four days. So I'm like, <laughs> trying to think together. Okay, which one was which one? Mm -hmm. But we do get, and I've got it noted, this is the last note for this movie, the epic train scene. And, you know, again, despite all the negativity I've said about this film, I love that train scene. I think it's phenomenal. That, again, is another perfect encapsulation of what it means to be Spider-Man. And him putting his absolute life on the line, we get the classic... Uh, what probably the best Toby Maguire scream as he's uh, trying to stop the train is just you know a pure release oh, his of power face as he's just screaming ah! uh, which is just <laughs> so great uh, and yeah of course you know he stops the train just in time and uh, you know everything with Doc Ock on the fight and then them on you know him getting unmasked and everyone being like we're gonna keep your secret like 
that scene is just so is so perfect. And I, I when when New York really you know gets behind him, yes, they're like, oh, he's just a kid. And then they all catch him and then put him on the train and everything. Um, one thing that I do love about that train sequence is when Doc Ock grabs the two people and then launches them. And then Spider-Man just grabs them and then just launches them again, like as fast as he oh, can. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like towards a building. And then he shoots the web <laughs> to catch them. Like if I was that person, I'd be like, what the hell is going on here? Oh, my God. I'm not keeping your secret. <laughs> you just threw me at 86 miles an hour t- towards a New York City sky from whiplash. <laughs> just more Gwen St- Stacy. Yeah, okay. we, we, we get that. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But yeah, so okay. Uh, overall thoughts on Spider-Man Two. I, I know. I think Anthony, you said you really liked it. I do. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, yeah. It, and again, it, it's hard to watch it now, but I have a lot of. Uh, I mean, I'll go ahead and say now. I. This movie, <laughs> I was with a buddy of mine, and it was like right when we were 16, he got his license. We were just driving around, and we went to the mall, and we saw three movies in one day, like back to back to back. We saw uh, White Chicks, we saw Dodgeball, <laughs> and then we saw Spider-Man 2. Nice. So, like, I remember the day, like, vividly. So it was a great day. It is. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, it's like three movies that like I can still quote White Chicks and Dodgeball to this day because they're just so funny and memorable. But um, yeah, I've got a lot of memories with this movie, even though watching it again, <laughs> it's not great. I mean, it it's good for what it was. And it also spun off to um, Spider-Man 2 video game on PS2. That game was epic. Was one that of the best so games that I remember, which I actually I think I told you this, Alex, but um, <laughs> I started playing it. Right when I got my PS5, it showed up. I was playing Miles Morales, and then my son wanted to play, and he goes, "No, not this one." And so we had to go in the basement and fire up the PS2 and play Spider-Man 2. So I went from playing Miles Morales on a PS5 to then five minutes later on a PS2 playing garbage graphics. And I'm like, "Oh, oh this game yeah. was so bad." But back in 2004, I mean, this was this was state of the art. That pose of when you hold down A and then he just goes like that and then your controller starts vibrating and he launches in the air. Oh, that was the first time you got a real time or what was it like a real time map where you can swing around. Spider-Man 1 was an incredible game. I loved that. Like I always would type in the cheats to play as Green Goblin and you'd get the great Goblin glider sounds. But Spider-Man 2 changed the game. That was probably one of the first free roam type games like that. Yeah. So even just going to talk to the people like, oh, this person stole my purse. And it's like a guy with a female's voice, like all the bitches <laughs> that were in it. But yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, this movie has a has a place in my heart forever, even though it's not great. Good. Good. It deserves to be in your heart. What about you, Brian? I don't have like I mean, I saw it in theaters. I liked it. But I I, I don't think I've ever put it above the first one personally. For for whatever reason, I just I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah, there's something about it. And I mean, hopefully we kind of went. I, I I think it may be that whole fact that it really is a depressing Peter Parker movie and it's it's packaged not like it is. And so I think maybe you don't notice it a lot of times when you're watching it. But then when you really start analyzing, it's like, oh, that's probably why is because, you know, nothing good happens to him in that movie until the very end when he. He gets the girl to break off her engagement with a NASA astronaut for him, for this lazy boy. And it just, it's crazy. 
But it and then, us- and then she shows up and he's like, all right, I got to bounce. Like she's yeah. still standing there in the doorway. She says, go get him, Tiger. Dress. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Go get him, Tiger. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God. Just that. Okay, but that line was awesome when she said it. I was like, there she is. She said it. Because I don't think she'd said it before that. Or maybe she never ever says, face it, Tiger, you hit the jackpot, which I was always hoping for, but never came. Uh, what did, in fact, come instead was Spider-Man 3, which uh, I think I saw it in theaters. This came out in 2008, if I'm remembering right. Uh, 2007. Which, or 2007. Uh, pretty good video game that came out with it as well. But uh, it's, I said it does the opening credits thing that I always wanted. Uh, in that it shows everything from Spider-Man 1 where, you know, he gets bit by the spider, all of that. I was like, they should have saved that for the amazing Spider-Man. Because here, we didn't need to see that again. We all know. We, we, we've we watched all these movies in preparation for this. But uh, we're still fine. I've got Bryce Dallas Howard uh, in here as Gwen. Uh, wasn't that big a fan of, of that. Uh, the whole Gwen situation in this movie was so weird of her, you know, giving him the key to the city and kissing him live on camera. And she happens to be his lab partner. And we find that out at the same time that MJ finds out, uh, which just felt really weird. I mean, you see them together in class, but like you never, I I don't think they ever tell you that they were lab partners. Just a lot of weird stuff. But I do have a call out here and I think I messaged you guys about this. Uh, So at this point, Harry has uh he because he at the end of the last movie he throws something at the mirror when his dad's trying to tell him to avenge his death from the mirror and it breaks and we get the reveal of the goblin lair we see a mask in here it's the mask that he ends up wearing in this movie the entire outfit that he ends up wearing in this movie very similar to a shot in the no way home trailer uh of the goblin flying in the distance Mm -hmm. uh that we see at one point which makes me and this is where we're going to get to one of my theories uh, at the end of this of just I think, I don't know, I think there we might be seeing Harry Osborn at some point in this movie. Uh, Brian, what do you think about that? Played by whom? Played by whom is right. Uh, don't. Don't. I don't want here's, either. Here's, here's the question. Would Disney or Sony work with James Franco? I do not see that happening in any circumstance under the I don't scene. either. I, don't, I, I might be wrong. Maybe, I don't know if you guys know, because uh, I know he, it was alleged, the things that were alleged against him, or was did it actually come out that it actually happened? Because I, I remember that he had some incidents of you know being inappropriate, uh, or maybe it was even some sort of sexual advances with people, but I don't remember if it was ever either you know corroborated or actually gotten to the point where they were like, yep, this really happened, I, or if it just ended up getting brushed under the rug. I think it got brushed under the rug, but I think it's a damaged reputation that I. Oh, I you're going to put him in for in one of the biggest films your studios ever had. Exactly. Yeah, and you again, you got the multiverse, so you could pull that. The, it's that other, same one, uh, but it's a different actor who's playing him. I don't care. I liked that though when I was like, oh, cool. So that that could be him. It was pretty cool that they looked a lot like the same suit. Um. Okay. How about this though? Venom latches to the bike. So we get, okay, we get this completely unnecessary Venom uh, side story. And I'll say this, I wasn't complaining too much. I'm, I'm a huge Venom fan, so it was cool to see some of that. But it starts off with a meteorite landing with the sound of a fart uh, in the, in the <laughs> I was expecting it to, you know, be really loud. They don't even notice it. And this creature crawls out and it latches onto his motorcycle right next to the muffler. And I'm like, there's no way. There's no way that Symbio would have made it to the house. It would have been like the minute he t- started his bike, it would have been like, ah, I would have like jumped off because it can't stand sound. And it's right there next to sound and probably a really hot muffler too. But uh, we're going to start there because we've got a lot of villains in this movie. Brian, 
Venom. Where do you stand on him? Where do you stand on Topher Grace? Where did we? Topher Grace in the church is my least favorite superhero film scene of any <laughs> superhero film. Jim Carrey, Riddler, anything included. That scene, the entire Venom stuff is where Sony inserted themselves into wanting to make as much money as possible. It makes absolutely no sense to the story. All we got was a cool black Spider-Man suit, which is a cool suit. I will say yes, that. Very cool. But it is just the Topher Grace church scene and the Tobey Maguire going down the street, rolling his arms and dancing. <laughs> it just is all because of Venom. And it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And I think Topher Grace as Eddie Brock makes absolutely zero sense. Yeah, I, I could not believe that. The guy from that 70s show, Eric Foreman, was Venom. I'm like, no way in hell <laughs> is this guy Eddie Brown. And with the frosted tips and then, like, even the scene when he recruits Sandman when they're in the alley and you see, like, the, somebody will come off his face and you see the frosted tips and, like, his voice isn't even different. Like, at least in Venom, you've got Tom Hardy and then he alters his voice to at least sound a little menacing, not just, like, the boy next door, Topher Grace. I just... <laughs> This movie's bad. Help me out here. (laughs) I actually watched a, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a reaction video. It felt more like a audio commentary uh, on YouTube. That was only three minutes long, but it was Raimi, uh, McGuire, Grace, and Dunst, and uh, Harry Osborne or uh, James Franco, uh, all watching those scenes, the jazz scenes. (laughs) And they're like the way they explained it. I was like, "Oh, that actually." He's like, "Yeah." So we're Sam. Sam was like, "Yeah, we're you know we were really trying to go for like you know this this things kind of changed his personality a bit, and we were really leaning into this jazz element that he just is like one of those angsty jazz players." And the way that they're all talking about it, they sounded like they were so proud of it. And I was just <laughs> like, "They're like, oh man." There's one where they're like, you know, Peter. Every time he talks to women, you can't tell if they're like grossed out by him if they're like attracted to him and and Rami's like it's kind of a bit of both and I was just like these like okay because he gets that bit where he goes into the the and this is I this movie is is not a good movie like it's not that good of a movie but I love this movie specifically for all of those scenes that was the bit that me and my friends would do all the time we always did the Spider-Man dance and uh, all of that and there's the bit where he shows up at the jazz club and he says uh find me some shade and uh, they, and then they, uh, you know, take him in and you get the classic, now dig on this. And he also <laughs> says the, I'm going to put some dirt in your eye. And it just, it, and he's saying it in this reaction of like, yeah, we were just trying to throw out some like, you know, those jazz phrase, classic jazz. I'm like, no, that's not what Venom would do. But it's so great the way that he does it when he's, you know, dancing. But then you also see him physically assault Mary Jane and no one deals with that. There's no repercussions of that uh, that violence. Just crazy. Um, OK, I said, oh, Farmer from Babe is Captain Stacy, which was nice. Um, that, that'll do, pig. Uh, OK, so we're going to we're jumping into the next villain now. Uh, Sandman. So, I, he, Sandman was terrible in this movie. Uh, I don't remember his name. The guy who plays him, he's a he's a pretty famous actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Thomas does, Hayden Church. Thomas Hayden Church. Thank you. Uh, and he Thomas Hayden Savage. <laughs> he he does <laughs> a really bad job playing Sandman, but I love 
the creating of Sandman scene. Yes. I thought that scene is phenomenal of him, again, being a completely stupid idiot stumbling into this lab space where these scientists are like, oh, we're getting a weird reading from the thing. Eh, it's probably a bird. It's like, no, no <laughs> scientist would say that. They'd be like, we need to check the numbers again. We need to get on the camera and look. But just the the fact of him, like, you know, as he's getting destroyed and then reconstituting as Sandman, and he's he's seeing and thinking of his daughter, and that's what drives him to stay alive. Again, they do nothing to build that up. They do nothing to make us care about him at all. But when I'm watching that scene, I'm I get goosebumps every single time, and I'm like, that's just so sick. Like it's the perfect Sandman scene. Like that's how he kind of gets created in the comics too. But it just didn't make sense in the movie at all. <laughs> but it was cool. It's the right? best special effect. It's the best special effects in this trilogy. That yes. that scene. That scene is incredible. I'm with you. Thomas Hayden Church just doesn't really do it for me. You and I have differing opinions on his involvement in Ben Parker's murder. Simple fact of the matter is that actor. Do we know he is he portraying Sandman in No Way Home? Do we know? I don't. That? Think it's know. not confirmed. It's not confirmed. So we only know Sandman's in the film. That's all we know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we I, don't know if it's uh, the guy playing Lizard either. Correct. Yep. Same. Yeah. Which we'll talk about him. I have mm -hmm. a specific opinion about him, but uh, yeah, the the visuals of of him turning into Sandman, I will forgive everything else that falls short with Sandman because that origin is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like the scene where he sneaks into back into his house, and you know he's like putting all of his notes under his daughter's pillow, and it's like. Cops are going to find that. Like, they're going to know you visited. And, but <laughs> they're going like, to go to your house first. <laughs> and his wife was such a, it was a very bad actor, too. The way she delivered all, it's just, it didn't make sense and it was kind of annoying. But yeah, that sign was, that that uh, scene was really cool. And it's then, wait, we get Bruce Sadie Campbell. Short of the jungle. Isn't that what he's from? He is, yeah. Well, and he's also the, uh, he's the guidance counselor from uh, Easy A. Uh, that's right. Yep. Yep. Lisa Kudrow's husband. Uh, in, yeah, in the in the movie. In the movie, I was gonna say that too. Yeah, uh, and I could not believe that she was cheating on him. I thought that was insane. Like, how dare you cheat on Thomas Hayden Church? He is nothing but a good man. <laughs> um, unbelievable. And she knew it too. She knew it. She admitted it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Oh, here comes another one. OMG, Peter, shut up. Mary Jane is going through something right now. Uh, All about him. The minute oh that she God, comes home so... and she's like. Oh, Peter, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, yeah, that's a lot like what I'm going through right now. And starts to, it's like textbook what you are not supposed to tell your spouse, what you're not supposed to do with your significant other when they're trying to tell you about their day. Even when he's trying to propose and, you know, she's having the, oh, well, you know, as Spider-Man. I'm just like, dude, eat it. Like, come on. This isn't what you're supposed to be doing right now. And just so self-centered. Yeah. Just insane. And then, yeah, and so what? Uh, uh, Bryce, I was going to say Bryce. It is, yeah, Bryce Dallas Howard. I was say Bryce Dallas Church. But um, <laughs> she comes in, and of course she's at this restaurant. And she walks up and it's like, oh, hey, Peter. I guessed Spider-Man today. Did you see that? <laughs> oh, hey, Mary Jane. Huh? What's up? And it's like, oh, my God. And this is right as Peter's trying to propose to Mary Jane that he thinks he can get away with all of this. And it just, and of course, you know, good for her that she walked away on that, too. But just unbelievable that they went through all of that. I did love uh, Bruce Campbell. Uh, Mater oh, D's good. <laughs> the yeah, Mater D's real great. good. 
I got yeah. mad at the beginning. I'd forget, forgotten about what he, you know, his lines were. And I was like, if he's the same as the Usher, where he's like, whoa, 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 like we blah, blah, blah. But it was like, I love that he was like, oh, I'm going to help you. Like, I'm going to help you do this. And then kept, you know, the people would come and he'd clap his hands really hard and <laughs> be like, no, go back, go back. And it was, yeah, the whole, all when, when he shows that, do you have a reservation? Yeah, Peter Parker. Pekka. Pekka. No, Parker. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Pekka. <laughs> I am French. It's like, yeah, no, we know. His little mustache. Oh yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that I would say of the of the three, I think that was my favorite Bruce Campbell moment of the three ones. Would you agree, Brian? Yes, that is that is my number one. I do like the ring announcer, but mm-hmm. like over the top yeah. Bruce Campbell with his little bitty mustache is the tiebreaker for me. Yeah. Yeah. Which he's in Doctor Strange, correct? We uh he would assume so. Assume I assume he's I think he I, retweeted the news and said something like, that's great news, but there's no confirmation that he's in it, but you know he's going to You just assume he'll have some, yeah. He's going to have to, because I think Sam Raimi has put him in all of his movies. Correct, so, he's in every single Sam yeah, Raimi. So he's going to be in it. Maybe he'll play Doctor Strange. <laughs> uh, that would be pretty Maybe. funny. Like, from an alternate, uh, receipt right here, he is alternate universe Doctor Strange. When they do some multiversal madness thing, he's going to be one of the Doctor Strangers that they pull. I was thinking Tony Stark, but we're kind of on the same. That, yeah, I'd be cool. Whatever it is, I would love to see him as a variant of a superhero. That I think we are also getting Tom Cruise as a variant of Tony Stark in Multiverse of Madness. That is my receipt. Yeah, keep that one close to the vest. I like that. That's insane. Maybe he'll do uh, a couch scene where he jumps up on the couch. <laughs> um, I said, do the do the twist. Oh, that might have been a song that was playing during the movie. But I've got I got to put some dirt in your eye. The dance, yeah. That uh, the scene is brilliant, along with the bar, the jazz club. Dig on this. But then I said, yeah, he hits MJ, which I think was at wasn't that at the bar that he hits MJ? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she still ends up with him by the end of it i i don't know if someone put hands on me i wouldn't talk to them again ever uh even if they were like sorry it's because i had an alien symbiote on my body (laughs) oh but that was that was the other scene that they were reacting to was him talking to dr connors on the phone while uh i don't even know what her name was that's the girl that really likes him next door is giving him cookies and he's like playing it off cool while he's on the phone. Oh yeah. And they're like, yeah, we needed to see he's Ramey was like, we needed a scene where Dr. Connors kind of explains what the symbiote is. And they were like, but we also kind of need to show you where Peter Parker is. And they're like, Oh, just make a scene of him calling on the phone and it being an absolute, you know, idiot while he's talking to him. And I, I hated that where he's like, you know, she's like, Oh, I could I could make some cookies if you want. And he was like, cookies. Yeah. Could go, go make some. That'd be yeah, awesome. Yeah. He was I'm like, just... do you, do you have any with nuts on them? And she's like, well, I, I have some that would, I, I could put them on there. He's like, yeah, do that. Oh, bring milk. Yeah. It's like, like, you are just too much. Uh, but then we actually get to this last bit, which uh, I don't know if this is going to be controversial or not. Uh, great final fight. I thought this final fight in the movie was actually awesome. Of uh, What is it? Him him versus Sandman and Venom. Uh, and then him and Green Goblin versus Sandman and Venom. I thought that entire bit played off really well. If you forget about everything else that comes before it in the movie sort of thing. Like it's it's very epic in scale. You get to see the people on the ground kind of cheering Spider-Man on. I really liked seeing Harry Osborn come around and say, like, I'm not going to, you know, Spider-Man's a good guy. I, I'm friends with Peter Parker now. Also, we didn't even talk about it. I love the whole bit of him losing his memory 
and like he's like all happy go lucky and happy but um but yeah i think that entire fight is really cool what do you think about that fight anthony yeah um is you wrote down do the twist is that the song that's playing when harry and mj are like making dinner oh, together god yep yeah, that's what it was it? <laughs> oh my god yeah when, that whole bit oh that was when, just fringe when harry tells the butler like oh uh get get out the food i've got company coming company and yeah. it's like oh and then yeah they're like yeah it was terrible um no that final fight was great um like when harry does show up and is he green goblin is he new goblin they don't even with, say he's like it doesn't matter anyway because he dies so he's just goblin jr but um yeah when he shows up and then uh peter goes i could use some help and then he goes uh i got my hands full over here like it's, yeah. he's going against sandman where spider-man's just going against venom um yeah i mean it was it was i like the the perspective of all the webbing and then you've got the taxi cab and then mj like falling and then yes yeah and i and j jonah jameson when he's down at the uh like the barrier like there's all these people that are standing around watching this giant epic fight with yeah. a giant sand monster and everyone's like oh let me just hang out and watch it I, oh, um, yes. and then uh jameson's like parker parker like looking for him to take pictures and then he buys that girl's camera yeah. for a hundred bucks and then she's like films extra and then he just kind of gleams at her like Ugh. wow yeah I will, I will say it makes me laugh that you see james cromwell's character as the farmer from babe and not the warden from the green mile like i'm just gonna throw that out there oh yeah i'm not a huge green mile fan but i was about to say isn't he also the warden from longest yard it, maybe he is actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to look that up. I, I think he is the warden from Adam Sandler's. Uh, yeah, no, he's that. Babe was a movie that scared me when I was a kid, so I have a lot of vivid memories yeah, of that movie. He was Warden Hazen in The Longest Yard? That's nice right. Word. Yeah, yeah. So that's my warden memory of him. I'm trying to uh, think what I recognize him most from. <laughs> for, honestly, what I remember him most from is the Doctor from I Robot. Like that's what I remember him the most. Oh, from. that's yep. right. Okay. Yep, that's it. That's where I recognize him from too. James Cromwell, yeah, and he plays uh, what he's basically the guy that reveals that Sandman's the one that killed his father, and that whole thing is so, just again, you're I I like I said I like the reveal of it in terms of how they explained it, but all of it didn't make sense at all. It felt like so many pieces in this movie just didn't need to be in this movie. Like at the end of the day, honestly, the movie didn't even really need to be made. If they didn't have a good idea, they should have left it alone. And I know the reason they made it was because they had to in terms of keeping the rights to the movie. But it was pretty sad that it was like this is the best that you could come up with with what would have been five, literally five years of, of time that you had to plan and plot this out. Yep. Uh, but this leads me to my theory. So I said – and I, this may be a common theory. I can't remember if we've talked about this. But I said – I noted. I said if Harry and Venom die, then they are in no way home because – all of the villains in No Way Home died. And, you know, we've talked about, though, that technically Sandman didn't die. Uh, but all of the other villains are died. Doc Ock, Green Goblin, Lizard. Um, trying, oh, and then Electro as well. So I could easily see it in the same thing. Venom would be in the movie, but it would be Tom Hardy's Venom that they would be showing. But they're kind of, they would pull him in from that universe. And so you'd see Venom in terms of all of the dead villains are the ones that are being brought back, which is kind of an interesting concept. Had you guys... Was that something again? Was that a common thing other people have been talking about? I didn't break the internet by saying that. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, the only goblin I've recognized from the trailers and stills that I've seen has been Willem Dafoe. 
but oh, I'm just talking about in general, like all of the villains being people who have died. Oh, 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 oh! Strange, um, sa- strange says that in one of the trailers of their fate is to is to oh, die. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I think you're onto something. I I would call I would consider it confirmed from the trailer the way that Strange presents it. So then, yeah, then that, with that assumption, Venom and Harry Osborn's Goblin should be in this movie if they're following that logic. And Gwen Stacy. And Gwen Stacy, if they decide to do that, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're gonna get we're gonna get there. Yeah, that's. Probably even still, too, man, that, that scene breaks me every time I see it. That's, like, one of the saddest moments in comics. I saw Oper- it two hours ago. I, I still haven't got it. It's awful. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, we're going we're gonna to get there. We're going to get there. Uh, we've got Amazing Spider-Man now. Another five years later, surprise, surprise, we've got another Spider-Man movie to keep, the, keep them in Sony's good graces, in Sony's books. Uh, a complete reimagining of Spider-Man. But they still take the time to replot out the same exact storyline in this movie of Uncle Ben dying and Spider-Man getting here and there. I really liked, though, how uh, in these two movies that it focused more on his parents. And you don't really see it too much in the first movie. They really dive into it in the second one. But I just loved that because you don't hear about it at all in the other ones. And that becomes a really big piece in the comics of uh, his parents were like shield agents or something like that and they died in a plane crash but it turns out it was orchestrated by chameleon or the green goblin something like that um there's a really quick uh shot of kelsey asbury from yellowstone uh she's one of the girls in the school that talks to peter parker it's the the wife of jamie uh in the show i don't know are you guys yellowstone fans Mm-mm. i know you've said it's good but yeah, <clears throat> absolutely epic show um what uh brian we'll start with you what do you think of it just in general the toby the andrew garfield movies and even just i guess amazing spider-man comparatively to the others how did you feel about this one honestly i i let my memory of them kind of rule my opinion so it was nice to get back into them in the last couple of days they're actually better than i remember them being yep um, i do not do not care for Andrew Garfield's portrayal of Peter Parker, especially in the first film. I think he's very over the top with his facial expressions and just doesn't really do it for me. But I love the sarcastic nature that he has as Spider-Man in that film yes. and in both films. He does a really good job of flipping that personality to who Spider-Man is from the comics, who Spider-Man is supposed to be. He's very sarcastic, very chatty. Uh, yes. I do not like, and we didn't even talk about the origin of the Spidey suit from the original trilogy or from the Sam Raimi trilogy. It 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 was okay for me, but that's the thing that makes the Tom Holland Spider Universe so much better because he gets a Stark suit. It makes sense that somebody of that age and that uh, income has that good of a suit. I do not like that the suit in the Amazing Spider-Man is just a, a bobsled leotard for. No, like that's basically what it is. I don't love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all overall, these films these films are actually much better than I remember them being, especially the second one. Yeah, we're gonna be getting to a really hard conversation when we talk about our rankings. That I think, at least for me, I'm prepping you guys. It's gonna be pretty controversial, but um, I don't think it will. And Not I'll be me. I'll be really grateful if it isn't because I feel like. These Garfield movies <clears throat> have been there, there's been a, l- a lot of dirt thrown in the eyes of these two Spider-Man films, and I totally get why. Because again, even at the time too, I was really upset with them. Like I was like, 
why did you retread all of this ground? We could have done all of these different things. Like you could have gone in such a different direction. But rewatching them, I was like, okay, despite that, they did. They did a lot of going in different directions. It's a completely different Peter Parker, and it's a completely different Spider-Man. And you're like you said, Brian, you're looking at these different aspects of Peter that resonated a lot more, at least with me, from the comics, where he's a lot more chatty. He's a lot more. He's a lot funnier in this movie. Um, but he's also still has that sort of sense of responsibility, but it's driven by him more so than it's driven by, you know, outside forces and some mental sort of illness. It's just that he knows that it's the right thing to do, which I thought was really cool. And I mean, you put Emma Stone in front of me and I'm going to forgive a lot. I love Emma Stone in Mm -hmm. that I think she was a really important part of making these films succeed or i mean as successful as they as they were because they're far from perfect like don't get me wrong there's there's plenty that doesn't work in them but i think the character of going gwen stacy route instead of mary jane was a was a brilliant move on their part it made a lot more sense dennis leary as captain stacy is really really good i think he's that's incredible casting from that standpoint for me for the most part the gwen stacy side of the story even removing the fact that it's Emma Stone, I just think it works better and it flows better. And she is far more balanced and keeps him in check. Yeah. The relationship is better. Like the hands down miles ahead of the MJ Peter relationship. We get in the other one because she's actually a fully formed human being and she has her own desires and she's not afraid to pursue her own passions uh, and not worry about what other people think, which I think is awesome. Oh, and they also knock out one of the biggest, you know, bugaboos in the book, which is she finds out he's Spider-Man right away, which was right. awesome. And she's like, you know, super excited about it. And now he, in that sense too, that's a very anti-Toby Maguire. He now has somebody he can confide in, and he has somebody that can share in the the stress that he deals with every day. Whereas Peter, Toby, is so concerned with keeping this a secret, and he's much more, you know, ah, that's okay. I also love that he was a skateboarder. I thought that was really cool, uh, especially the skateboarding scene where he's practicing his powers. Yeah, I think that Andrew Garfield in general is a much better dramatic actor, and I think that's where you know, it, it kind of loses me a little bit in the sense where he's trying to be nerdy and he, he does, he is definitely very sarcastic in this, which I do yes. like, um, especially I I'd say he's more sarcastic as Spider-Man than his as Peter. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. I think as Spider-Man, he's just Peter dialed to an 11 and he's definitely a lot more arrogant and taunting with his victims. Like when he's searching for the guy with the, the hand tattoo and he's just <laughs> laying waste to guys and just, cracking jokes with the the guy in the car and i i don't know again it's that you know he's the new spider-man so can you set everything that you've seen from toby aside and then think okay this is the new guy and what we got but um to your point alex um you know he's a lot more reckless and again he's a lot more defined by the loss of his parents instead of ben and he's just a lot more charismatic and edgy and i think it works yeah. You know, it's funny. I, it just came to my mind when you mentioned that some more reasons that I, I got upset with Spider-Man 2 was that we for, we completely forgot to talk about his whole performance issues with being Spider-Man uh, in Spider-Man 2 when he like can't cling on to the walls and, you know, it all, all because of Mary Jane. When he's got and, the yips. Yeah, exactly. And then there was another there was another piece too with that, but it's just it was weird. And I loved here how 
it, it, he just felt so much more confident. He knew what he was doing, and he creates his own web shooters, which I thought was great too, uh, kind of getting back to the comics. But let's dive into the lizard. Uh, one of my I'm a huge sucker for the OG Spider-Man villains. I grew up on them. I had some books of the original issues. And so like Lizard, Mysterio, Doc Ock, those were usually my favorites. Uh, and I love the Lizard, but I do not like the Lizard in this movie. Uh, he has he doesn't have the pointy face. He doesn't have the lab coat. He doesn't have the purple pants. And I feel like all of those pieces make the Lizard an interesting character because otherwise he's just a lizard. Whereas in the comics, and they kind of do it a bit here, but it's like he's so much more than a lizard. Like he's this guy that wanted to cure himself and couldn't, kind of the same as like Green Goblin. But they don't really dive into that aspect of it. And it's more of just he's the angry guy that's trying to... Uh, I don't even remember what it is that he was trying to do. He's just trying to perfect the formula because he's on a deadline uh, because the guy from Jurassic World uh, tells him <laughs> that Norman Osborn's sick, uh, which was, I, you know, and credit where credit is due, I liked that carryover into the second movie uh, of this whole Norman Osborn being sick. You kind of see hints and, and Easter eggs of that in this one. Uh, but yeah, uh, Brian, what do you think of The Lizard? Uh, horrible. Uh, I... <laughs> The, the special effects seem like they haven't evolved since 1993. They It looks like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle film. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't love how he looks. I I don't imagine the lizard being able to talk like, like Dr. Connors, just straight up. Like, and that's pretty much what he does. And maybe that's just me. I don't, I don't really know. Also, like uh, Reese Ifens, I believe is the name, is how you pronounce the last mm -hmm. name of the actor. For me, he's always going to be Nigel, who's the kicker from the replacements. Yes. The cigarette on the field. Like for me, that <laughs> it wasn't great casting. I don't feel like he was convincing in the role of Dr. Connors or as the lizard. So therefore, neither of it really worked for me. But every time his face was on screen, I already know what we're getting in No Way Home is significantly better from a special effects standpoint. So I'm far more excited there. It just really, really didn't work for me. But now, like, He's he didn't die, so this may be something to your. I thought he did die. No, he's in there. He's in a post credit scene at the end of the first one where he's he's talking to the gentleman, in just in his in his prison cell. I didn't watch the post credit scene. Oh, so I didn't. Okay, so he's not dead then. So, so he's, he's okay. Not dead. So I just I'm just now piecing this together as we're talking about it. Regarding catch the lizard, I I think the scene in the sewer is cool. The way that Peter kind of. Sets up every call that can, out. We can like hear like my favorite scenes. Guitar, basically, Peter needs to be a little bit smarter than to leave his camera with his name on it. Yeah, <laughs> that that's a that's a little bit silly to me. That the fact that the camera is only there to so the lizard can find out he's Peter Parker, like a little bit easy for me. But mm -hmm. over, I think the stuff with the actual like physical lizards is really cool. The way they like flock to him, yeah, um, that's really neat. But just the lizard himself, it. <sighs> It just he keeps upping the dosage until it just kind of becomes permanent. And I don't know. It just didn't work for me. Steroids, man. It's not good. They'll get you. Uh, one <laughs> thing that I, I did think was funny was. Uh, when lizards in the school, when he like climbs up the toilet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Busts through the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and, uh, and then he starts to he chases. I guess he chases Peter like into a hole in the wall. And then he like sees a whole bunch of like chemicals in the science room and he like makes a bomb 
and then ah, he throws yeah. it into the hole and then he swings out of Spider-Man. But um, I will say this is probably one of the my favorite Stan Lee cameos. Yes, I, when, I, when he's the librarian and then oh, he's got yes. he's got the headphones on and then you just see Spider-Man and Lizard causing absolute destruction in the background. Um, I, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, it's flying at him and Peter catches it and brings it back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I did, I definitely could have done without was Lizard trying to make more lizards. And then you've got like the the bomb. That oh, went master off. plan. Yeah, like the bomb that went off. And then you had all like the the SWAT team start to turn into lizards as well. And then that's what gives you the whole, you know, Gwen Stacy needs to be at the top of the tower with the antidote and then the missile and all. And I'm like, all right, I, I could have done without all the baby lizards. A lot of moving parts. Yeah. <laughs> that's that is uh I mean he had lizard brain though, so you can't really blame him that, you know, it's just oh I'm gonna make more of me. Uh but yeah, that whole thing was weird. And of course, again, you know, it all is wrapped up with a bow. She presses the button with one second left and you know, it all works out except for Captain Stacy. And uh we're left with uh almost uh uh, I don't know if this is controversial, almost a more epic scene than Uncle Ben in terms of the last words somebody says before they die in saying, you need to leave Gwen alone. And that absolutely wrecked me, especially the first time I saw that in theaters of like, like what's worse uh, in terms of, you know, the guilt of losing your uncle Thinking it was your fault, honestly, that probably is worse. But, like, this girl that you really love, her father's dying wish is you need to leave her alone. And you know that that's the right thing to do, but you can't do it. It's just... And then you get another... We get another funeral scene. So we get... This is, like, the third Spider-Man movie now that has a funeral at the end of it. And we get another class... Well, but in here, he shows up at the house. And, and she immediately is like, my father told you to leave me alone didn't he and he's like yeah and i when the movie ended that this on this rewatch i was like i forgot i said i forgot about that and like i can't wait to see because i'd forgotten a lot of the second movie i was like i can't wait to see him struggling with being away from her in the second movie and it ends up being quite the opposite but what'd you think of that uh, and anthony we'll start with you in, in terms of like that last line from captain stacy yeah i mean he's definitely more haunted by captain stacy than he is uncle ben yeah, yeah. I mean, because like you see him even in the the second one when he's uh, is it the beginning? I think it's when he's on the maybe not. I, again, I can't remember. I watched all of them so recently that it's all flooded together. But um, he's on a truck and he's trying to take out the driver and he looks over and he sees a cop car and then he just sees Captain Stacy in the yeah. passenger seat like looking at him and then That's it ends up obviously not being him. But that was the second movie. Yeah, that was the first. Yeah, the second movie. That's the first time we see him see Captain Stacy. He sees him yeah. a couple of times, though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I I strongly disliked when when uh, when Gwen shows up at the house and she was like, "There was a funeral. They they there were they made speeches, and they they shot guns." And we're like, "Yeah, we we know what a funeral is." And it was just I don't know. It was just written so strange for her to say that, and he's just standing there dead faced, like. Yeah, I know. My bad. Yeah, I think she. I think she knows he was there. She looks up on the roof of that of the church. I think she knows he was he was there. So that's that's a that's a big part of it too. That I, man, try to put yourself in in those shoes. Like, what would the man's dying wish 
you to stay away from the girl that you love like and and, and he's she, right and she's putting you in this position to basically break your dying his dying wish to like you know what i'm trying to say like yeah she's putting peter in that position to basically go after her. like i it it's crazy but now i i did have to step away from watching the first one for just a little bit captain stacy says peter has this vendetta against a specific kind of criminal does he find the guy with the star on his left wrist? He never oh, finds him, right? I don't think he ever does. Mm-mm. We completely go away from it, and maybe that was the plan for the third film. I really, he never finds him. Like it's really weird. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder though if there is a message there too. If again, you know, looking at it years later with no other sequels to say that it didn't matter, right? That like. You know, showing you that having a vendetta and having revenge is not going to get you, you know, the whole if you're going to seek revenge, dig two graves sort of thing. And uh, so it was like it didn't matter that he didn't find him. He shouldn't have found him because he should just let go and move on sort of thing. But I could have easily seen them making that the plot of the third movie. Yeah, for sure. It's the aerospace engineer all over again. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um yeah, you know, it's funny, too, if this movie, if, th- if that had been the ending of the Tobey Maguire movie, and he says, leave Mary Jane alone, Toby would have been like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Easiest promise I've ever made, sir. Thank he you. Been like, he would have been like, oh, bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. It's not going to be a problem. Uh, so, yeah, so that movie... Uh, and it did really well, too. I can't remember if that movie was nominated for any Oscars or not. I know I was looking at the Spider-Man 2 actually is an Oscar winning movie uh, special for, effects, yeah. for special effects, which I, I think it totally deserves it. Um, but, yeah, let's move on to The Amazing Spider-Man 2. So this movie came out two short years afterwards, 2014. This movie came out when uh, Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy came out in the exact same year. So I think theory wise. That's why this movie got such a bad rap is because it was surrounded by greatness, surrounded by pillars of industry that uh, it could never even touch if it tried. And Guardians isn't not, even that good. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> you, are, you are incorrect. <laughs> I just want to stir you up. <laughs> I, I, I'm that'd be an interesting conversation to have. I go back and forth with it. I'm I'm like Guardians with you with Spider Verse, Anthony. Uh, when I am not watching it, I'm just like, eh, I don't need the Guardians movies. Every single time I watch it, I'm like, I love this movie. This movie is so good. Uh, And yeah, when you have movies like that coming out and you have the sequel to a Spider-Man movie that nobody asked for because, again, they only did this for the the rights, uh, it's going to fall through the cracks. And I remember vividly, I went and saw that movie with my my youngest brother uh, in theaters. And uh, it just I remember leaving the movie and I only remembered this when I was rewatching it leaving the movie going, I really liked that movie. And I don't know what happened, whether it was the zeitgeist or what, but over time I was just like, yeah, this movie sucks. This is the worst Spider-Man movie of them all. Like, I can't believe they even made a second one. And I go into this rewatch and I was like, I forgot how much I like this movie. And I actually really like this movie. Like, this movie is actually really good. There's a lot of corny pieces to it. There's some spots in it that aren't good that we're going to need to call out. But when I'm looking at my notes... This is the movie I actually took the most notes on, and a lot of them are more positive than than what uh, the other films were. So um, let's dive into that. Before before we do, we'll start with you, Brian. What did you think of, of ASM 2? Better than I remember. Um, some of my challenges, I really, really do not like Dane DeHaan as Harry Osborn. I think he's terrible. 
Um, yeah. That's yep. just hair, let alone talking about anything else that he does on film. I think Felicity Jones was completely under was completely wasted. I think that she would have been a great character if they would have used the character of Felicia more. I think they could have leveraged that entire situation better. Um, I do like Sally Field as, as Aunt May in these. In yes, these I think I think she's she's really good. Paul Giamatti's on your screen and you don't know it forever, which is which is very interesting to me. We do get B.J. Novak, Ryan Howard from The Office kind of makes a cameo yep. appear as well. Oscorp is really, really cool how futuristic the technology is getting to see the insides of Oscorp. I actually the character of Max Dillon and Alex, you kind of tipped me off to this a little bit. And this is the theme of of talking about these films. He's not there. He's not all there. He's got a mental oh, disorder. And it's really sad. Like that that scene in the apartment where he's shaving himself and singing himself happy birthday. I cringed at it. And now upon this rewatch, having having your opinion ahead of time, Alex, I watched it in a completely different manner. And it's just sad. It's like, really it's sad. So sad. But I think credit to Jamie Foxx. I don't love Blue Electro. Neither did he. Um, but the visuals of him going in and out of the electric current and through the sockets and all that kind of stuff, I think is actually very ego Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 level stuff. Like it, it looks pretty cool. But blue glowing Electro doesn't really work, but the entire center of, of Times Square of, hey, you 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 can see me. And then all of a sudden he flips because all the television cameras flip to Spider-Man instead. Like, that's really interesting stuff. Um, this movie. Man, it's it's better than I than I remember. It's far, far from perfect. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it was better than I than I remember it being. Yeah. What about you, Anthony? Uh, I'm in the same boat. If <clears throat> Dean DeHaan wasn't in this, if they didn't even have Harry in this. I think it would have been much better for me. Um, he's just absolutely hideous. Like at the, at the end when he's the the Green Goblin and just all of it is terrible. But I love Green Max Gollum. Dillon. <laughs> uh, I love Max Dillon. I mean, the first time I saw it, uh, I don't mind Blue Electro. I mean, it's the the style they went with. And who am I again? Like you said, Alex, they didn't ask me my opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think they were going to have him in the green spandex with the, you know, the the yellow like starburst thing on his forehead. Um, but you know, he's definitely sad. Like when, when he, uh, you know, gets scooped up in the street and saved by Spider Man, he goes, "Hey, you're my eyes and ears, Max." He goes, "You know my name?" He goes, well, yeah, it's it's on your badge right there. Yeah. And then you even see him in the elevator with Gwen. And talking about Spider-Man, oh, he saved my life. And then when you see them in the street, and and that Times Square scene is one of my favorite. Uh, oddly enough, I don't know why. I think a lot of it is the the score. Um, but one of my favorite Spider-Man scenes in all the movies. I just love that Times Square scene when he's standing there, and you know he's like, "Hey, Spider," and he's like, "Oh, hey, uh, yeah, yeah, oh, oh, you're you're my eyes and ears." And he's like, "Yeah," and he goes, "What's your name? What's your name?" Max, 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 yeah. How you doing? He goes, oh, I didn't recognize you. And I just, I don't know, I love that scene. And even, you know, two-thirds of the way through when uh, Harry shows up and Electro's, you know, chained, locked up, chained up, whatever, in that contraption that he's in. And he goes, I need you. You need me? And he just wants to be needed and he just wants to be recognized as a person. And, it, again, it's it's heartbreaking, but I absolutely love it. And I'm so excited to see Jamie Foxx 
as him again. I love Jamie Foxx and everything he's in. Uh, so yeah, I, again, this movie is, uh, it's not great, but I enjoy it more than the average, average person probably. Yeah. And I'd say I'd, I enjoy it more than the average Spider-Man movie. So we're, we're getting closer and closer to that ranking. Um, I've got a couple things here too. So I love the opening shot scene of this movie. I love that they basically recreate the opening scene of the last movie, but we now see the why behind it. And I don't remember if this was a criticism when the movie came out, but I love the lore of his parents. And I love that we get to see them there, you know, oh, here's what happened. Here's how they got away. And I had a note. Let me ask you this. Have you guys ever seen, have you guys seen the GIF? It's it's not a GIF, but it's like a screenshot of uh, someone's letterbox uh, Joker review the uh, of the Joker movie. And it just says, this happened to my buddy Eric. Have you seen that? <laughs> no, uh, and I, I had that here. I, I put a note. I said, "Can you imagine a coworker explaining what happened to the Parkers?" Uh, and I said, "Oh, that happened to my buddy Eric." Of like, oh, you know, they, what they were doing something they shouldn't, and an assassin follows them onto a plane and kills them, and the plane explodes. Like, oh yeah, where, where's Richard? Like he was supposed to be here today. Like I think he actually like abdicated and you know <laughs> got chased down and killed. Just so crazy. But, um, yeah, and even when I was watching, I was like, what is Roosevelt? Like, they keep talking about we're sending it to Roosevelt. And, again, I hadn't seen it since I saw it in theaters. And I was just like, I loved that I forgot those things. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, I said epic upload by Richard Parker. Loved this. They portrayed themselves as the best sort of smart people ever because everyone always gets lost up and gets caught up in the emotions. And, you know, his wife is bleeding out, and she says, the the upload and he's like oh right and like goes over there and does it okay it's good we're good we're good and i just i was like hell yeah dude like that's awesome and then the guy gets back up to fight him and he's still trying to do the upload while the plane is getting ripped apart and i was just like this is it i i felt like i was holding my breath while i watched that scene and i was just like yes he got it he got it i don't know what it means but he did it and it's awesome yeah i Um, I will say I had a harder time with this recast of Richard Parker than I did of even like James Rhodes from Iron Man one to Iron Man two. Like just the fact that you have two different actors portraying Richard Parker in, in Spider-Man amazing Spider-Man one and amazing Spider-Man. I didn't know that. Yeah. Completely different. different. Like he's got like white hair in the second one. Like it just. Wow. I didn't, didn't even, didn't even register. Wow. That's a, that's pretty big though. That, why? I mean, it, it is what it is. He was barely in the first one. Like, I, I'm yes. sure it was just they like, oh, we should probably explore this a little bit more because they do talk about Richard Parker in the post credit scene of the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, the gentleman is talking to Dr. Connors about Richard Parker. Um, OK, but, but anyway, so I think they decided my guess is they cast more of an actual actor as as Richard Parker. But Anthony, did you notice that Richard Parker was a completely different actor in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 versus the first two minutes of the first one. No, I had no idea. See, I didn't either. Like I had a, I had a completely easier time going from going from Edward Norton to Mark Ruffalo and going from going over to, to in James Rhodes and going that way. But it just, I don't know. It threw me for a loop, but I, I, I like that we explored why aunt may and uncle Ben had, had custody of, of Peter. I actually, think that's really interesting to find out what happened to to Peter's parents so it worked really well for me honestly yeah yeah there's oh and I, I'd put a note here this is like my, my favorite opening I think of all of the movies of not not just this but it, it dovetails into that beautiful opening I mean 
everything about Spider-Man in this movie is probably my favorite maybe of all of the movies because it's the CGI is incredible. The, the acrobatics are incredible. And you get this opening shot of him swinging around the city and, you know, people are, everyone loves him at this point and he jumps onto the thing and you get uh, <laughs> Paul Giamatti going, I am Alexi. And it's like, okay, all right, man. Sure. But, uh, but it was cool to see <laughs> Spider-Man. Like, He's sliding under things and and doing everything that a spider can. I just it was amazing. And then I forget that he hasn't graduated yet. <laughs> I thought he did that at the end of the last movie. And so they still I like that they just got it out of the way, but that he's basically fighting all this crime and getting to graduation again. That whole bit of him just landing immediately, changing and walking out on you know stage right as his name is called, and he high fives the guy like that whole opening. I just thought was phenomenal. But he, he definitely looks like the valedictorian in front of everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, doesn't. Oh, and yeah. And then I said I forgot he doesn't listen to Captain Stacy, which I said. You know what a struggle to have his last words on his conscience uh, with someone like Peter with that type of anxiety. Again, that would have wrecked Toby Maguire. Uh, it clearly isn't with Andrew, and I like that more. I like that the internal struggle is the exact opposite of Toby and him saying, I can't keep away from Gwen. Like, I need to be there with her. And just that whole battle throughout the whole movie I thought was great because she also is like – and she even says at the one point, she's like, no, 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 like, I'm going to break up with you. It's not you saying you can't be with me. Like, I'm just going to end this. But even then, you know, you get the amazing scene of them uh, saying, like, let's just be friends. Uh, when they're walking around the park, like everything with him and Gwen in this movie is pitch perfect. Yeah, like he, when they're uh, when they're talking about things they can't do, and she like yes. her nose, and he goes, "Well, that's another one. You can't do it." And she's like, "What? How am I supposed to itch my nose?" And then talking about like the was it like a meatball place that she liked, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I know." She's like, "You've been following me." Oh and he, that, yeah, that awkward, but, but he, like, he's so honest uh, with her about it though. He's like, uh, "Yeah, yeah he's behind the it. tree." Mm-hmm. Yeah, he hides behind the tree, and she's like, what, how often? He says, only, like, once a day, maybe. And it just, and he's like, it's the only <laughs> way that I can be close to you without being with you. And it just was, like, so heartbreaking, but so perfect, the way that they, they don't have any, it's like they really don't have any secrets between themselves. And it's sad, because he really does, he literally ruins her life. And uh, that's what makes it all the more heartbreaking. Uh, yeah, Gwen leaves him. Loved that. And I said I loved her outfit, too. They did a lot of really great Gwen Stacy outfits in this movie. Um, I loved him saving Jorge from the bullies. That scene was perfect. That, that to me, was Spider-Man. Showing up, the kids just run away, and he helps him with his science project. And he's like, you did this, you did this all yourself. This is awesome. This is so cool. Uh, was, and I'd forgotten about that scene completely. And I was just like, I this is so cool that we get these little tiny moments in this movie. I didn't forget about the kid because he shows up later in the film, but I, I remembered that scene, but I didn't remember the scene of him saving him. What what scene? When does he come back? Isn't he the one that stands up to Rhino? Isn't it the same kid? Is it? I thought that was the kid that he saved in the... With the windmill, yeah, the alleyway. I, I'd have to rewatch it and I'd be glad to do it uh, because the mom calls the kid's name out. So and he says his name's Jorge in that first scene. So if she calls out Jorge, then we'll know it's the same one. I don't remember what she said. Yourself, I will find it. Oh, good, good, excellent. Um, yeah, I said. I, oh, Statue of Liberty is uh, Addie Bryant when he's waiting in line. Yeah, I know. Street. I noticed that too. That was yeah. great. Uh, and here's where I think you're going to agree with me here, Anthony. I said 
love the whispering voice electro music. Yes. Uh, and each time, every single time that he's on screen, the whispering gets louder. And I, I rented this movie in 4K UHD, so I, I had all, <laughs> all my speakers were blaring. And I'm trying to, like, make out what they're saying. And I was like, I don't think they're saying anything. I think it's gibberish. But then when you get to the point where he fully becomes Electro, they, yeah, they actually start saying some stuff. And I'd write down, lied to me, used me, dead to me, electricity, uh, <laughs> shout at me, now they're all my enemy, uh, was voices keep getting louder was just like i thought it was the coolest thing ever i don't remember if i even noticed it on the last watch but i can't remember another movie doing something like that where you've got such a vivid theme of again this guy with a mental disorder where the voices in his head are getting louder and louder and we get to see that on screen through yeah the I, I think for i mean Hans zimmer to do the score for this and again the part of the reason i love the Times Square scene so much is just the score of it when it's happening. Yeah. Like I can just listen to that. I'm not a big score guy to just listen to on my own, but for some reason that one just just gets me and I love it. Um, yeah, so and the, then even mom calls him Joe, so maybe it's not the same kid. I just thought it was the same kid, so my mistake. Mm. I thought it. I thought it was the kid that he saved from the car in the first one. Remember when he hands him his mask? It, right. it, it, oh, that scene was so good too. It might not. Like, hey, this put this on. This will make you strong. I was just. And like, then it ended oh. up being like the construction worker that lined up all the cranes for him that to get kid, to. Yup. It was Jack, so I don't think that's him. Just a bunch of J's. Yeah. Just a whole bunch of kids that that he's helping out. But yeah. Um, and even like you know the final battle when Electro's bouncing around and then he's the itsy bitsy spider. Yeah. Is 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 going off. I hate this song. Yeah. <laughs> so many. There's. It's crazy how many catches. Because we forgot to talk about that. I, I was thinking of it as we started on this. I was like, I thought that was this movie where they move all the cranes. That scene is so cool. And again, that's like the classic "Don't mess with New York" type scene. Is you know the construction worker calling all his buddies like, "Hey, I need you to on Fourth Street, move your crane 180 degrees. Let's go." It's like, oh, that was great. Yeah. Um, and I, I even noted it in here exactly like you were saying. I said, uh, Brian, don't like this Max portrayal. This was when he was doing his happy birthday. I said, too neurotic. He should have been a cool, smart person. And I meant that of like, again, he was very timid, but he's really smart, right? Like he's this electrical guy that works at Oscorp. He invented this. He's got like all the blueprints and he created this electrical grid. So he's very smart. But then later on in my notes, I was like, actually, this is perfect like the way that they've portrayed him is perfect it's just that like you said it's very cringy and that's why i didn't like it but it's meant to be that way uh which moves us into and we're going to talk about this is uh harry and norman osborne so you've both mentioned it a little bit uh i said interesting norman osborne take uh he looks like a goblin uh <laughs> it's a genetic disease the osborne curse I said 19, oh, 1951 to 2014, so that's when he died. So I, I didn't do the math. I should have, uh, what is that, 51 to, so like 60 years old, something like that? 60 what? 63. Ooh, that was close. Uh, but I liked, and I don't remember the guy's name, but he's always playing the really mean army man, army general. Always. Uh, I, I literally thought guy. that. Yeah, he's in Born Identity, I think, as the yep, angry he's agent. He's the exact same guy yep, in Born He's the exact same as everything, but I thought he did a really good job here of explaining that, like, Harry, this is going to come to you, too. Again, looking at it as just this film, 
you can look at it overall and say this was all terrible, and I would say you're not wrong, but I liked this a lot. I liked the twist on this, that it's a genetic disease. He gives Harry this thing, and he's like, this is all my life's work, and he's got the goblin claws and all of that, and he's just, you know, coughing in his bed. I am not a huge fan of Dane DeHaan. Uh, I've seen him in quite a few things, and he's just, he's got a performance in every single movie where it's just this uncaring sort of he thinks that he's being cool but he isn't really that cool uh but i really liked him as harry osborne in the beginning of the movie the scene i thought it was so cool that out of the blue and i guess this might be bad but out of the blue peter parker shows up at his place and is like hey like I heard your dad died and I know we haven't talked in like 10 years, but I'm just checking on you and I want to make sure you're doing okay. I thought that was such a cool Peter Parker thing for him to do and that neither of them know anything about each other anymore. They grew apart. He doesn't know he's Spider-Man. He's legitimately just coming there to check on him. Like he has no idea that Harry Osborn is going to turn evil. And then I really liked their whole conversation at the beach. I thought it was really cool that they're just – you know, catching up and, and having this really cool conversation. And then the minute that he's like, hey, can we get Spider-Man's blood? I was like, dude, I don't like you anymore. Like, you're <laughs> all of this doesn't make sense. But for some reason, I just loved both of those scenes of like Harry or Peter is legitimately reaching out to somebody who just lost their father. And he's doing it for no reason other than to be a good person. And he takes the time to talk with him. And he even pushes Harry because Harry originally is like, I don't want to talk like leave. And then he makes that joke and, you know, he's like, all right, let's go for a walk. And so you get to hear him talk for a bit and they're just kind of shooting the breeze. And I thought that was a really cool thing. And again, I'll be curious. We'll start with Brian on this. What did you think of those scenes? Am I crazy? Uh, and that's loop on answer. that. The actor that played Norman Osborn, his name is Chris Cooper. Like you said, Chris, that's right. Thing. And fun fact, he, the actor himself, was also born in 1951. Uh, oh. So that the the. Harry Osborne stuff, again, I don't like Dane DeHaan's portrayal at any point throughout the film. Um, it doesn't really yeah. work for me. He's an he's an awkward rich kid. What I I mean, I guess I guess that kind of works. It's straight up just bizarre that they're being spied on by oh yeah. All of Oscorp. That didn't I mean Well, they were trying to they were trying to find some dirt, they were trying to put some dirt in his eye right. to get him out of the CEO because he's like the owner of the company. But yeah, when you look at it, it's it like, ends up not is that even legal? It, no, like, absolutely not. But it ends up not meaning anything because they they say he he approves this special project. They didn't have to spy on him. That scene meant absolutely nothing to the grander narrative of the whole thing. It's not like he said something on that beach where all of a sudden they could then make him approve this special project. They didn't make a ton of sense. So yeah. other than, hey, the people at Oscorp also want him out. That's really all that it was. When he flips and becomes and, and hires Felicity as, as his right-hand person, like, it's just, he's he's creepy. It just doesn't, yeah. nothing Harry Osborn really works for me the scene on the beach is is fine i think it's i it's it's andrew garfield it, peter parker standing up for spider-man the way he got to do so with with captain stacy in the first one i think that dinner scene of of him trying to talk about the good that that spider-man does to captain stacy where captain stacy says you just don't get it and then he eventually puts together that he's peter parker even before he sees him without the mask on like so i mean I like Peter Parker standing up for who Spider-Man is as a person, and that will always work for me. So I don't know if Harry Osborn really had anything to do with it. Yeah, you know, you might be right. I think in both of them, kind of even as I was explaining, it was more about the whole Peter side of it. 
Uh, and I totally wish it would have been someone else playing Harry Osborne. Uh, but again, we can't go back and change the past. As long as we don't see him in No Way Home, I'll I'll be uh, I'll be fine. Um, and I see him than we do James Franco. Uh, you'd rather see him than James Franco? We have a better chance of seeing him. Oh, better chance. I was going to say, yeah, I would rather see James Franco, but um, I agree with you. Uh, but he, I said here, too, that I said this was where my note was. His personality works with becoming Electro because uh, and this would have been that scene where, you know, they're in the square, the Times Square scene, because that's where I've got the quotes of the song getting louder. But this whole thing of him saying he wants to be seen. And all of the cameras are on him. Everything's on him. And then the minute I loved that it was like Spider-Man shows up and then all the cameras are on Spider-Man. And it's just I love that he's able to talk him out of it. And he's like, yeah, let's go somewhere and talk, which would have been like a dream come true for Max. And it's only because of that guy shooting him that then things go bad. But then the minute he gets shot, all the cameras are on him now. And now he gets that inflated sense of worth of, uh, again, from being knocked down so many times that... Uh, which just sucks overall because when you think about it, if someone had just come to help him on his freaking birthday, none of this would have happened, right? Like he was alone working on electrical stuff. He should have been smart enough to know that he shouldn't have done that alone. But if someone would have helped him, there wouldn't have been a problem. Like, and even that scene was played off funny because he like plugs it in and the music stops and nothing happens. And then so he does something else and then he gets electrocuted and eaten by the eels. But um, yeah, I thought that was great. And you say, yeah, now they're all my enemy. I thought was interesting. Again, all these voices in your head. But then it says, oh, I said, huge in huge letters. Wrong song choice. And I said, and I will do it for you. So bad. It was, I was like, so bad. No, 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 no. Like that was, uh, that had to have been, I think that was like the song of that time. Because I remember everyone was using that in insurance commercials and everything. And it was like, did not make sense for him investigating his parents' death. And I don't know why. That just did not sit well with him. So bad. Uh, yeah, and then, yeah, Harry, Harry begging Peter felt off. He gets mad at him. It's like, dude, you haven't seen him in 10 years, and he came out of his way to ask you about his about your father, and now you're mad at him that he, you won't, he won't go talk to Spider-Man because you want his blood? And uh, and then we find out later that it's like Richard Parker pulled the ultimate uh, the ultimate move in sealing his DNA in the spiders. And it's like, yeah, dude, don't take the serum. You're going to die if you take it. Just I was trying to think there was something I was like he could have just as easily uh, trying to think what it would have been. There was like a complete another method he could have used. Uh, and I don't remember what it was, but he mentioned something where I was like, oh, you should just do that. Like that would fix your problem. But uh, no, he doesn't. He doesn't listen. He's too antsy. He oh, and then Electro, Electro gets sent to Ravencroft, which was really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Ravencroft. I know we all talked about that in our Venom one. We actually get Dr. Kafka, played by uh, a certain uh, famous actor, uh, and I don't uh, have his name, but he is in such films as Kangaroo Jack. He plays Mr. Smith, and he's also Celeborn in Lord of the Rings. Uh, which was cool to see him in hyper black makeup on his face with the shaved thing doing a German accent. And uh, I'll just say by the time Electro got to him, I was pretty happy that he died instantly. So Martin uh, Focus. His last name is Focus? Socus. C-S-O-K-A-S. Okay. Yeah, I, I've never heard of his name, but I just – Kangaroo Jack is one of my faves. And he was very scary as Mr. Smith. So uh, that and Lord of the Rings, obviously. Uh, but yeah, what'd you what'd you think of the whole 
shoehorn. I would shoehorning, but like the whole Ravencroft and now Dr. Kafka and then experimenting on Electro. How'd that sit with you, Anthony? Uh, I mean, that was fine. I didn't know anything. I mean, I don't know if that's from comics or what, but I just kind of, it was there that they had to give him a reason to be there and then a reason for Harry to find out where he's at and then find out that he needs his help. Also, if you're trying to hide stuff in files, don't put it under the title special project. Special projects. <laughs> like that. It's the most like red flag. Like first thing I would type in like, oh, we're trying to hide something. Where do you put it? Uh, I don't know. Special project sounds about right. <laughs> what about this I mean, thing called secret files? <laughs> the files in the computer. You know, it's funny too. Uh, you know how you really injure Electro is by electrocution. Because that's what they were basically doing to him was they were tasering him while he was in his little thing. It's like, yeah, that's how you hurt Electro is by giving him more electricity. But yeah, well, even that's when, when, when Harry like needs him to like get a boost, he tases him. To give him like, that's right yeah he gives him an actual taste and i will say I, what's the power level of electro because when Infinite, uh, when he yeah when he shows up with harry at the office and then the guy who like took over uh oscorp he just like points a finger at him and then shoots him in the heart and then like and ultimately like, kills them yeah. yeah. and then like a minute brings him back but i'm like he would just do this to spider-man and be like nah you're done you're, mm-hmm. you're gone but spidey had the electro proof suit or his his bobsled suit, I guess, probably for friction purposes and bobsledding. You don't want to have a lot of electrical friction on you, so prevents that elect the uh, electric rip, Ryan. Two things from the uh, from the <laughs> Times Square scene that we didn't talk about: that Ooh. slow down scene of when the cop car is flying and the people are reaching out for the railings, and he stops all that for. Oh people. yes, yeah. that is really really cool. And then it is laugh out loud funny when Spider Man shows up wearing a fire hat. It is oh, so yeah. yes. When he's got the fire hose, but he's got the full blown hat on, it cracks. <laughs> yeah, those, and he starts he starts swinging the the fire hose around like, a little bit. Put it in his holster. Yeah, it's, in his holster. it's so good. Yeah, perfect Spider Man. Um, yeah, and then he's okay. So I've got Raven. Yeah, be- okay, beautiful scene with Sally Fields is what I, put, I wrote down when she's in, telling- in Peter's bedroom. Yeah, that yeah. was absolutely incredible, and I'd forgotten about it so. When she stands up to him and she's like, no, I'm your, I was your mom. Like, I, your parents weren't even there for you, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, you're right. Like, as Peter, I would have been like, you're right. And he goes even more, like, he, Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker, the emotional intelligence level of him is, like, off the charts. Because a regular teenager would have stomped out of the room, but he sits down and looks her in the eye and is like, you matter. He was like, you matter to me, and I will always love you, and you are my mom. And, and I you're just, enough. And you are enough. Like, that's the sort of thing a parent says to their kid or that you would say to your friend who's coming to you. You know, that's what uh, MJ should say to Peter in the Tobey Maguire movie sort of thing. But uh, it's him telling Aunt May that. And just her, you know, her little sad nods as she's wiping her tears is just perfectly acted. Like, that scene should have been recognized more when it came out because it was, and then she tells him. And I, I just loved that. I loved their relationship. It was so strong throughout both of those movies. Just, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think that like, I mean, the, in the, the scene in the bedroom was like the most Aunt May that we had gotten out of all of this. And it was great. And there's so yeah. much to, there's so much to her putting Ben's things away where they belong. Oh yeah. Not mm-hmm. throwing them away, but putting them away. That's at the very end after after everything with Gwen happens too, but it it there's a lot that any average person can learn from that. 
the heavier yeah. the box, the lighter I feel. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I took it as she was throwing it away, though, right? She's just basically no. saying that's not what we're going to call it, or she is she just moving it in the storage? I just think she was putting it in the attic. Yeah, oh, okay. I, I think. Yeah. You you don't want to put it away where you're forgetting about it, but you also can't dwell on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It was yeah, absolutely great, great message. Uh, and I think I may have even had excuse me a note on that, but yeah, there's a I, I said something here where he I said Harry is your best pal. He says he says that line of like he's my best pal. I was like, you didn't talk with him for 10, 10 years. I don't think you're beholden to Harry. You're not my um, pal friend. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then I said, aha, Roosevelt is father's secret base, uh, which was pretty cool. I mean, for the research that he does to find everything, it was like, it's pretty badass that every, you know, every morning at 7 a.m. he's popping his calculator and tossing a coin in the secret thing to have the secret base. Uh, and I liked that a lot. It was, uh, again, something that kind of like what you were saying earlier, Brian, about uh, – what was it? Something about a, a Gwen, maybe it was a Gwen Stacy thing or whatnot, where there are definitely things that they were dropping in this movie that were meant for a third movie that we could have gotten some more stuff on, especially yeah. around his parents. Yeah. And, and I mean, they set up the Sinister Six. They literally oh, just, yeah. they blatantly set it up. And then even though I hated Rhino, I hated how many, it. How many people do we need? Not a lot. <laughs> Keep it small. I was waiting for him to say six or less. <laughs> Actually, so, just make it six. Mr. F- Mr. Fierce, like the gentleman, like mm-hmm. is he, he's just a straight comic book character. I've is never he, heard of him before. Okay. Okay. No, that, and I remember that when it came out too, I was like, I'm like, oh my. And I was, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, that's right. Who is this guy? And I, every time it was like, oh yeah, he's literally nobody. Like people had said, you know, he's just some made up guy from, maybe he has a really minor role in something and I just don't remember it, but he has never been a major villain for Spider-Man ever. Cause he's also in the, yeah, I think he's like the sinister six Nick Fury for lack of a better In term. a sense. Yeah. You never see his face really. Yeah. Like he's in the post credit scene of the first one too, talking to Dr. Mm-hmm. Connors, but yeah. 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 We get to our next incredibly heartbreaking scene. Uh, which is uh, uh, Peter putting the I love you on the webbing on the thing and grabbing her and taking her to the top of the bridge, which in the comics is where she dies. And so that triggered me the first time that I watched it because I knew what was coming just because they showed the bridge. But even on this rewatch, too, it's just it's that same sort of feeling that I got when Toby's talking with uh, Uncle Ben in the car of like this. is This is the moment when things go wrong is him grabbing her and taking her up there. And I'm like, you basically just sentenced her to death. And it's so sad. And I just I, I got emotional when I was watching it because I, I I am more. I, I toss and turn with if I like Gwen Stacy more than Mary Jane in like the comics, but I'm a Gwen I'm a Gwen Stacy stan a lot because she at least from what I've read she doesn't have a lot of character. She's kind of just like they didn't write her very well, but I just always loved the idea that he had someone that wasn't Mary Jane because everyone thinks it's Mary Jane, and so it was cool that they explored this other person. But I just was like, dude, she just got into Oxford. She just passed these interviews that you almost ruined by showing up and trying to talk to her. <laughs> when and he now, says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm John Hopkins. I've, yeah. uh, I've, I've, I've been trying to get her on my team at Harvard for years now. And <laughs> this is it. But it was like, dude, leave her like, just let her be like she's wanting to go live her life. And, and that whole scene, I even said it here where he says, I'll follow you forever. 
everything that he says to her on that bridge is just so sad because it's true love between the two of them. But because of his Spider-Man antics, he's causing her to die. Like if anyone is his fault in this film, it's her in terms of their death. And uh, did you feel that way too, uh, Brian? Oh, it just hurts, man. Like it just yeah. hurts because it, it it's an actual relationship that you are rooting for. And yeah. we never really, I mean, we never really rooted for Mary Jane and, and, and Tobey Maguire. We just, we just didn't, not in the same manner. And I think a lot of that credit where credit is due when it comes to Emma Stone and how incredible of an actress she is, but the dynamic she had with Andrew Garfield, I believe these two were an actual couple when these were being, uh, you might be, I think you're right. Yeah. So good on him. But, uh, <laughs> I, man, it just, it just hurts because I, I just think, and I know this isn't the storyline from the comics, but I just think how fun a spider Gwen Emma Stone would have been. Like, yeah. I understand that's not what they were doing whatsoever, but I just think about how fun, like, I just, in, in film, it's night and day, man. Gwen Stacy is so much better than Mary Jane. Yep. Yeah, hands down. What about you, man? I did love when they were on the top of the bridge and he was like, there's crime in England, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> they got, got Jack the Ripper. <laughs> yeah, that was great. It's um, foreshadowing, too, for Far From Home. Uh, maybe a little yeah. bit. Well, yeah. And then we get to the uh, funny in a two hour and 20 minute film, the rushed ending uh, of the Green Goblin showing up out of nowhere. I've got a note here calling him the Greasy Goblin Boy. Uh, is what I referred to him as because that's literally what he was. Um, it was cool that his suit kind of was healing him. And maybe that's what it was. I was like, dude, you should have just stepped into the suit. That would have, you know, cured your problem. You wouldn't have had to take all this blood. But it just, and then the movie ends with a funeral too. Uh, and I said this here, so I can't express how sad that last scene is. I know, Brian, you said you were annoyed by it. And I'm I'm curious to hear where. But just just like in the comics, that's the the biggest tragedy in the comics is that Peter Parker never knew if he killed Gwen Stacy because it was either the, that she was the gob, green goblin says something like she was dead before I threw her off or that he, she, he threw her off and she died. It was basically did the fall kill her or did the webbing snap her neck? And you you'll it's like you'll never know. That's the mystery of the story is you never know. And that's part of his guilt. And they did that exact same thing here where it was like, did his webbing snap her neck? Or was it when her head hit the ground and killed her? Because it very quickly looks like her head hits the ground. Uh, Wikipedia says that her head hits the ground, but I like to think that they kind of copied it from the comics that we don't know whether it was him that caused it or the ground. Um, but talk to me. What, what was it that kind of frustrated you with the scene? Oh, I don't know if it's frustration. It's just having to live like Infinity War being being your fight. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then I don't, don't want to go. I don't. I, yeah, Mr. Stark, yeah. I don't feel so good. And that being the last you get of this character, like, it's just heartbreaking. I, it just, it's just such an emotional gut punch, which is what you don't often get in a film like this. So that's kind of why it stands out so much. I never even knew about her head hitting the ground. I didn't think her head hit ground at all. I, I have been operating under the full assumption that he killed her and he knows he killed her. Yeah. yeah it's Cause there, I mean, yeah. the only blood you see is from her nose. I mean, I, if her head hit that ground, not that it, you know, not that they're going to go like overly violent and gory, but no, but it's like a neck snap. Thing. Really, either, either the fall snapped her neck, or his webbing made her snap her neck. That's what I think. That I think the I, web, the, it's, yeah, it's it's one or the other. I'm I'm of the webbing as well, but yeah, like too. I said, they they try to go both ways. Also, the 
just the, the the fact that it's all surrounded by these clocks and you're in this giant you know all the cogs are moving and then everything just goes into slow motion and i i got chills and i think i i, I remember in the theater i think i cried when it happened when the webbing comes out and goes into a grabbing motion where it Little looks like hand looks like a hand just absolutely broke me and I was like, they're really going to do this, aren't they? And it's like the webbing is going through every little piece of, of cog. And it's like, oh, my God. And then it happens the exact same way. And it's just and he can't even show up for the funeral. And you're thinking the whole time, you know, you should listen to her dad. But I'm, at the same time, they very well make it a point, though, that she kind of did it to herself in a sense because she took it upon herself to help. Which I liked. She was very independent in that way, where she always wanted to make a difference too. And so it was partially her fault to say that, like, Peter shouldn't dwell on it that way, but you know he's going to. And I love that they did. They could have ended the movie there at the funeral, but you get the, in my opinion, epic ending scene of him watching Gwen Stacy's, uh, you know, commencement and at the graduation uh, speech. And which, again, classic Parker, he had never watched it prior. But she inspires him to become Spider-Man after death, which is so cool. And then he shows up and we get that amazing swinging of the thing right at Rhino, uh, which I wasn't a fan of that Rhino. But uh, I loved the little kid standing up to Rhino and just uh, the, the way the whole ending was, I think, worked really well for me. What about you? What's over to you, Anthony? Uh, yeah, I mean... You know, I do love the very last scene that we get, which is him swinging that sewer plate around, yeah. getting ready to take Rhino. I think Rhino was hideous. Yeah, I mean, she, he he even web shot her to the hood of the car and was like, "You're not coming." And then she's like, "Peter," and then covers her mouth. And like you said, oh, yeah. I mean, she put herself in the situation where ultimately she was gonna, you know, get her neck snapped. Yeah, but uh, no. I mean, it it's upsetting we didn't get a third because I think it could. Well, I don't know. It's probably a blessing because it probably would have been terrible. I feel like there's they a rushed good it. chance that it would have been. I don't know though. We'll never rushed know. It. Well, rushed it. I mean, because at the same time, then how do you just in one movie all of a sudden explain Vulture and Doc Ock and do they have what? I can't remember what what they showed. They show uh, the, they show the octopus arms. They show the vulture wings, and I think that's it. And then maybe they show the rhino gear. They name drop Scorp- they name drop scorpion at some point in this film. So yeah, you might be right. And then you would have had lizard uh, lizard because he was still alive. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then green goblin, which isn't exactly the original Sinister Six, but I, I liked their choices. I guess it made sense. But yeah, I mean, again, they they fell into the and that's that is Sony's fault. And uh, you know, we can talk about that a little bit too, where they just they don't know how to to create good content. They only know how to prepare you for the next content. And they do that because they're business people and they don't understand good art in that sense. But like Spider-Man 3 fell into that same trap of trying to set up too many things at once and not focusing on good character development. And Spider-Man 2 had a ton of it or Amazing Spider-Man 2 had a ton of it. So you know that they were doing it, but you can tell when Sony's hands get in the pot to try and, you know, the whole Harry Osborn thing didn't really need to be there. I mean, it makes sense for the ending if you're trying to kill Gwen, but uh, I, I just think that they put a lot into this movie that could have been in another movie and it could have been i don't know 20 minutes shorter if, if it needed to be but an hour into this film before harry osborne ever shows exactly up. Yeah. yeah i yeah. i will say watching these two films back to back being able to see both funeral scenes within a couple hours of each other 
of how much Gwen's family is able to keep it together during Captain Stacy's funeral because they they say he's he's strapped a gun to his hip, he's put on a badge every day, wondering if he's going to come home or not. They knew that day was an inevitability that it was going to mm-hmm. happen. But the mm-hmm. way his her family, especially her mother, reacts at Gwen's funeral is just absolutely heartbreaking. It's just awful. Yeah, and that, yeah. that's just really where it where it really really man, it just it's it's rough. It and really I mean, is. Good, good on them for at least having the guts to do it. Yeah, but I don't know if I, I don't know. Like it's I, I just don't love it, and it's it's leaving the character in that. If the Rhino scene didn't exist and we didn't get a third film, I feel like. Andrew Garfield never would have gotten any sort of appreciation whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Was this the film that uh, Kevin Feige like had notes on? Yeah, yes, I think wasn't the note about Blue. Well, these Electra. are the ones that yeah, these are the ones that leaked. And then they basically just said, "Now nah, we're good," <laughs> and then didn't do anything about it. I think so. That's actually that's what you were talking about, Brian. Was uh, uh, Felicia. Because if you remember back at the back at the during this time during those leaks the, and before the leaks, they were going to have some sort of black cat movie. They were going to have that sinister six movie. So like a lot of those things, like oh we didn't see enough Felicia. I think they were they were building to that to where in the third movie there would have been more. There would have been probably a, a you know origin story of her becoming black cat, maybe stealing something from Oscorp. But yeah, when the when the leak happened, they basically canceled everything, and then they were like, yeah, it's the same way. You know, they got caught with their pants down. Like you know, finally we can see you guys screwed up in all these areas, and uh, you know it's we got to fix it and fix it. They did, which was uh, the smartest move they could have made which was uh, Tom Holland, casting Tom Holland and creating a new Spider-Man universe with Marvel Studios, letting them run the show, which was, again, a uh, match made. uh, I wouldn't say made in heaven or hell. I'm not sure, but uh, it happened, and we are all the better for it with these other Spider-Man movies. Now, I will say we're not going to dive as deep into these Spider-Man movies because uh, Brian has a podcast episode on United We Fan, for the Tom Holland trilogy, they do a very good job of breaking all of that down. Uh, I will probably do a Tom Holland one in the future when No Way Home is out and on Blu-ray, and I can talk about that trilogy at some point in the future. Uh, just so, again, you know, I'd rather point you to some already great content that's out there than retread the wheel. Uh, but I will say we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. So I would say we're starting with Homecoming. Um loved Homecoming. And so now, and I, I don't think this is, I, maybe you guys agree, uh, we are now in the next tier of Spider-Man films in the rankings. All of those movies that we just talked about are, in my opinion, the bottom half of the Spider-Man movies. Uh, and then from there, it's the Tom Holland movies are ahead of them for me. And so Homecoming was amazing. And I, I guess I'll just say some high points for me. I love the opening. I love the uh, Ramon song uh, with him going around, classic Peter Parker. We finally get to see him in high school and actually kind of be a high school age, and we get to focus on him being a high schooler, which is honestly all I ever wanted from Peter, having read those early issues. Uh, Fantastic villains, both the Vulture and Mysterio, are better than every single other Spider-Man villain that's there, uh, in my humble opinion. And uh, especially in this first one, I love the vulture scene where he finds out <laughs> that Spider-Man is Spider-Man. Uh, the whole scene of him going up to the door uh, to get, um, gosh, I'm forgetting her name. Betty, right? No, it's not Betty. Liz. 
Liz, that's right. Liz out. Wow, they pulled Liz out of the ground. That's right. Um, but yeah, those to me, those were the high points, uh, at least. For, oh, and then, of course, the come on Spider-Man scene. Uh, also straight from the comic books, that scene brought a tear to my eye in the theater. It is emotionally wrenching in the best way. Um, but I, like I said, I, I want to talk, talk too much about it. Brian, uh, any thoughts on Homecoming? Michael Keaton is the king. I love Michael Keaton so, so much. Tom Holland is incredible in the role, the way he's introduced in Civil War. It could not have been a better introduction in the MCU. We didn't spend time worrying about Ben Parker. The only yep. call that we've gotten is in Far From Home where he's using his suitcase, and that's it. And he's using and he wears his old suit to the homecoming dance. That's all we talk about with Ben Parker. Uh, homecoming is it's the best live-action Spider-Man film, I think. Ooh, okay. I like hearing that. What about you, Anthony? Yeah, I mean, it's it's my number one as far as rankings go. Um, Brian, wasn't the Keaton thing spoiled for you? No. I could have swore I heard you say that it was spoiled uh, no, him walking said, up to the house. It was not spoiled for me. I figured it out about three seconds before Peter got to the door. Just oh, okay. simply okay. by going through what we've done in the film, the house, how rich he is. I just was uh, like, it's going to be him. But it, I was not, bear memory of yours. I was not, <laughs> was not completely spoiled. Um, but yeah, there was a, apparently a young adult book uh, that came out before the movie um, where they talked about Michael Keaton being Michelle's dad, mm-hmm. which oh. which didn't make a ton of sense. And then that's that's what that leak was. And then as you watch the film, it's like, oh, he's going to be Liz's dad. That makes the most sense. And I know that. um you're you're mixing me specifically up with somebody else who's told that story before. But regardless, yeah, I figured it out just before Michael Keaton opens the door. But how frozen Peter is in that scene and and him, Adrian Toomes, just holding the knife and trying to be the cool dad. And again, that's the right answer. Like, oh, yeah, you look fine. Like just hand. Yeah, when he says, do you want a drink? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Pedro. Man, it's just so good. Him calling him Pedro. It's all it's all that car ride scene is a top five MCU f- scene for me with that light, the stoplight. Yeah. Just I, uh, that, well, one thing that I do love one, you know, like, like you've already spoken on, uh, he finally looks of a high school age. We get to see him like in high school classes and not, you know, straight into college classes. Um, I feel like we finally, this is the first time in my opinion, we finally see him as a New Yorker. You know, he goes to the bodega and, you know, he yes. knows the guy that works there. And then, you know, oh, it's, give me the, the, the number 13 and smush it, will you? And, you know, you finally, again, in, in my opinion, you finally see New York in him instead of just swinging around with all these New York landmarks around. Um, the only thing that I don't necessarily care for, and I'm sure you guys might agree or, or heard before, but they keep forcing Tony Stark into this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I don't. This isn't necessarily a spoiler for No Way Home, but Electro has an arc reactor, and I want to know why. And I hope they just let Tony be dead. And enough of this, you know. Tony created the villain, and I don't know. I don't think I would say uh, I don't think they're going to go into too much detail on it because then they're going to have to go into detail on all of the villains. And it's a long movie, but I think that they're going to be focusing on other things. 
I wouldn't be surprised if in that universe, Max Dillon created the arc reactor, because if you remember, he's incredibly smart and he created this entire grid so he could easily create an arc reactor if he wanted to, if his origin was different, that he gets wronged by somebody, creates this tech to try and bust in and break. And all he knows how to create is electricity things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it'd be very easy for him to create an arc reactor. Don't even need to worry about Tony Stark at that point. I'm completely do you think tony stark is even forced in homecoming you're talking about me or anthony i i I guess both i i think the tony stark stuff in homecoming works i I liked it because he is i know what you mean i I get what you're saying anthony yeah i mean yeah i like it i just i have a friend who's very you know oh he can only be spider-man because of tony stark and he can't just be spider-man on his own you know everything he has is being handed to him from stark even in you know um Far from home when, you know, the the Quinjet or whatever jet shows up with Happy and then he's putting a suit together with all of the Stark tech. And I, don't, I mean, that's the only thing that I hope they kind of just let let it be. Let him be Spider-Man now. Yeah. And but, then, but at least having the Stark tech makes it a little bit more believable. That's kind of where I'm at. Like, but mm-hmm. Toby Maguire just magically making this suit out of whatever materials he could find in the first one didn't really work for me either. So there's at least a way to explain why Peter is the way that he is. I, I would also say, if you say Peter can't be Peter, then I will see you and I will raise you. Come on, Spider-Man, get up Mm Spider-Man in his homemade costume with his homemade where we're, we're Tony and civil (laughs) war. How do you see through these things? Yeah, the goggles. (laughs) But I, I think Peter can be Peter and I think he is Peter Parker, but I think he's a better Spider-Man because of Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the I, I like it, and it sounds. Lo- My brother always makes fun of me. He says all I like are movies that have lore, and I think that's a different conversation for uh, you know what movies are these days and how everything is either a remake or a continuation from something. So there's lore baked into all of these movies. But when you look at the the Marvel movies, it's the same as the comics. Sp- like Spider-Man's first issue. The Fantastic Four are in that issue, and he goes to the Baxter building, and it's like, okay, so th- there's your tie-ins the same way that Tony Stark is in this, but th- I think the most important piece of his relationship with Spider-Man is in this movie when he tells him, if you're nothing without the suit, then you don't deserve it, and you shouldn't be in it, and that's just such a good message, and you see that he already had a really bad suit beforehand that's almost like the Ben Riley Spider-Man suit, um, but, I, but I totally get it because I think it's valid, too, for someone who maybe is... is uh, Again, like, why does everything need to be tied together? Why why does it need to be this way? I don't think you're wrong because maybe it was, it might've been Mark that mentioned this on your guys' episode of like, I do want to see a Spider-Man movie where it's just Spider-Man or it's Spider-Man and another Spider-Man and not him having to rely on people because he's got Doctor Strange in this movie. But I think for this trilogy, I like that because you've got Tony Stark, uh, Quentin Beck and Stephen Strange as three different mentors uh, throughout these movies. And then maybe in the next trilogy, he's off on his own doing his own stuff, um, which goes into Far From Home. So a uh, couple years after Far From Home comes out, and uh, I really like Far From Home. Uh, I need to, I, I'm going to rewatch these before the next Spider Man movie, but I, I currently have that as uh, uh, my top movie. Uh, just because it's everything and more in terms of we finally get to see like the globe trotting Spider-Man, which I really liked. But also Mysterio is like, I think, one of my top favorite Spider-Man villains. So I just loved how comics accurate he was. The reveal at the end, 
uh, that the entire bar is, you know, not a bar at all was just amazing, <laughs> like incredible. The fact that he he trusted him. Uh, but then everything with MJ, I thought was great. And we, we didn't talk about it for homecoming, too. But I love the Betty Brandt uh, news reels that they do in the school. The <laughs> school announcement videos are just incredible. And the second the one that's in Far From Home is amazing when they're doing the eulogies and all of that. It's just so good. And then I'll add Ned and Betty's relationship. I loved too the whole <laughs> young that was love. Three, three days long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was just amazing and incredible. Um, but yes. Yeah, have you seen Betty Brandt as the unpaid intern on the Daily Bugle TikTok? Uh-uh, no. There's a full Daily Bugle TikTok, and Betty Brandt, that actress, is the unpaid intern for J. Jonah Jameson, and she runs his TikTok account. She interviews Ned Leeds as her former lover, and it's freaking <laughs> hilarious. That's amazing. <laughs> See, I saw it came out, and I was like, I don't want to watch anything that might. There's nothing crazy in it like that I've seen. It's really, really – like, she interviews Hannibal Burris as, like, the coach. Oh, nice. Yeah. The, he's in the first one too, where he talks about he's Captain so America. Yeah. Like it's so funny, but yeah, <laughs> Daily Bugle TikTok. If you want to wait till the movie comes out, but go back and watch it because it is laugh out loud funny. Mm-hmm. Oh, we also get the line in this movie of witches. <laughs> <laughs> it's witches. Uh, it's so so great. <laughs> uh, would you? Get, oh wait, yeah. We'll start with you, Brian. What do you think of Far From Home? Uh, man, like if I didn't just box myself, box myself into the corner that homecoming is my favorite live action yeah. Spider-Man film, like far from home's right behind it. I know they're like, they're right. There. Everything, everything with Mysterio is awesome. Like it's just the visuals of it when he traps Peter in that snow globe and all that kind of stuff. And then Peter ends up getting hit run over by the train, like all of that Mysterio stuff, the reveal with Peter Billingsley behind the, the the bar and barf and how interconnected it is again to Anthony's point coming back to Tony Stark creating this villain it's a super complicated plot line that they are able to explain in this really weird choreographed scene in some warehouse where all these things they it finally starts making sense like who he is how he is the the magician that he is yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal was so good in the role man like just the Mysterio stuff is just so good Mm-hmm. Oh, and the fact that he's from another, like the whole multiverse thing was essentially shared in that movie. And we all thought mm-hmm. that that's what it was going to be. And, and so, oh man. And, and even yeah, when you knew. Too much. Yeah, that's too you, much. And then they pull it off perfectly. Yeah, because the whole time I'm like, okay, I know that he's a bad guy. And I can't wait to see the universe that he's from. And then it was like, oh, he's actually not from the old another universe. Oh, like to me, that was the twist. Was that he's just in that he was, you know, impacted by Tony Stark in that way. It was like, this is brilliant. Like the fact that they pulled that off. Um, you'd mentioned some oh, the, you know, the just every Mysterio scene where he takes him into his Mysterio world was just amazing. The mm-hmm. Tony Stark coming out of the grave, the just it felt like a Doctor Strange move of him seeing all of the different things happening and him getting whipped into the next thing and whipped into the next thing. And it was like, like snow globe in his, yes. his fishbowl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just punching the column instead of punching Mysterio. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, so good and even you know him constructing the villains that we again thought we were going to be getting like hydro man and and this is going to be our sandman and uh it not being anything at all but then it culminates in that epic fight at the end where we get to see you know it's like part peter parker going on an 11 where he's just touching every single one of those different things as he's going around in slow motion and it was just amazing everything with happy we get that i always love the shot of him landing in the flowers 
uh, in in uh, was it Amsterdam or wherever it was that they were at was just so cool. And uh, there's just so many great scenes in that movie. And we get Nick Fury <laughs> and a cat and a Captain Marvel mention that was great as well. The first I, one. Yeah, the first one. Mm-hmm. And that, but they spoiled it in the trailer. Um, so yeah, uh, any would, would you get any other thoughts on the Tom Holland uh, two movies before we kind of get into the wrap up portion of this? We're it's, almost there, guys. We are almost. There. I know. Literally, I we're less than a week away. To the film, it's it's crazy to think. Do you have Do you have three p.m. on Thursday, Alex? Um, I uh, I currently I've got a seven p.m. showing on Thursday, and then I've got a ten. I think it's ten or ten thirty a.m. on Friday. I have the day off. And then I've got a 1.30 on Saturday. Um, I was going to do the three, but I, I, I couldn't do two, two in one day. I think I would have – they wouldn't have overlapped well. And I'm, I'm meeting David at uh, the IMAX theater, which I'm really excited for. I, that Seeing Eternals there was amazing. Yeah, I've got, I've got the 3 p.m. on Thursday and then a newborn. So that's yep. it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. More than fair. <laughs> And Brian, I know you've you've got the uh, the king of showings. You're you're double booked double the days. Three p.m. Thursday, eight thirty. So three p.m. Thursday with my co-host from United We Fan, Mark. Eight thirty with my wife. The following day on the IMAX solo at twelve, and then Friday night with my kids, with my two oldest kids at six. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think about David and his wife. We're gonna go on Thursday. I'm alone on Friday, which I'm pumped for. I love early morning movies. I'm gonna, it, it's gonna be great. And then uh, my wife and I are going to see it on Saturday. So very, very, very excited. So we've arrived though. We've arrived at the end. We've teased it. Uh, it's time to talk rankings. Anthony, we're gonna start with you. What, what are your? And again, bar, barring uh, uh, into the Spider Verse not being included, live okay. action Spider Man movies. What's the rankings? What do we do? Do you want me to start with one or do you want me to start with seven? Start with seven. Let's we'll do top down. Okay. Spider-Man three is number seven. Okay. Which should uh, not be a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Not a surprise. Uh, number six, I've got amazing Spider-Man one. Ooh. Okay. Uh, number five, I have amazing Spider-Man two. Okay. Number four, I have Spider-Man two. Number mm-hmm. three, I have Far From Home. Number two, I have Spider-Man. And number one, I have Homecoming. Okay, I like the list. It's a, a little unique. Very nice. And, well, and it's, it's very hard to... It, it, the the amount of space in between one and six, eh, one and five. <laughs> I don't know, maybe one and four. I don't know. Like seven, Spider-Man three is bottom of the barrel. It doesn't even need to be on here. Yeah. Um, but you know, even between Homecoming and Spider-Man, and then Spider-Man to Far From Home, I mean, it's just such a minuscule thing to to rank them. I don't like ranking things, especially when you get up to seven of them. I don't like. Yeah, I, I I've been doing this thing now, and I will preface this. I should have prefaced it. Uh, we all three of us reserve the right to change these rankings at any point in time, depending on <laughs> how we're feeling or what happens on the next rewatch, because it is it's really hard to rank things. It feels so permanent and ending. And uh, I'm always willing to give things a new shot. So speaking of which, Brian, what do we got? What, what, what's on your end? Uh, seven, Spider-Man three. Six, I hate to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway, is the Amazing Spider-Man two. Okay. Or I think about it, and having recently seen them, I might like it more than The Amazing Spider-Man 1. I might. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 5, 
the Amazing Spider-Man one. Okay. Uh, four Spider-Man two, three Spider-Man, two Spider-Man Far from, well one B Spider-Man Far From Home. <laughs> one yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that too when we get to it. That's good. <sighs> okay, all right. Here's mine, and I did I did do a little bit of a change as we were talking earlier too. So I'm Have I'm very into huh? it. You have the Amazing Spider-Man two at number three, don't you? Uh, no, 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 no. What, Let's see. Would... Okay, and it's I'm looking at my IMDb rankings, and I have Into the F- Spider Verse as number one. So my numbers are off. So I'll try and do my best here. But I've got number seven, Spider-Man three. So I think we're all in agreement there. Yep. Here it goes. I'm so sorry, listeners. Number seven or number six, Spider-Man two. Knew it. I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> number five. <laughs> yes, I, I, I can't believe I get that on my own podcast. I am so honored, Brent. Thank you. Um, I don't know if these hot takes are going to keep coming. Number five, The Amazing Spider-Man. Number four, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Number three, Spider-Man. Uh, and then we'll all steal yours. Number 1A and 1B. I've got Spider-Man Homecoming and then Spider-Man Far From Home. So again, those may change when I do another rewatch. But I just know, I, I think I enjoyed Far From Home just a little bit more. Uh, but it's only just. So yeah, my hot takes are Spider-Man 2 is further down the line. And I, I hate it because I acknowledge how good of a movie it is. But I, I keep going back to this idea as I'm doing rankings of if I had to pick between the two films that you're ranking, which one would I put in right now and watch? And I would rather watch both of the Amazing Spider-Mans over Spider-Man 2 if we're picking. every. You know, even when I was re-watching it, I, I kept going, I just want this movie to end. Uh, because it's so depressing. <laughs> but I, like, I get how good of a film it is. It's just like, come on. Um, so, okay. Hot, hot, hot. Uh, next little thing. We're talking Peter Parker's. Did we all, are we all in agreement Tom Holland's the best? Yes. Yeah. Peter yeah. Parker or just overall character? Uh, or overall, yeah, overall. The, answer is, the answer is yes to whatever yeah. question you're asking. Um, uh, so let's say for Peter Parker. For, for me, I would say the worst Peter Parker is to- Tobey Maguire. And yeah, I think I'd probably put Holland as uh, top Peter Parker for Spider-Man. It would be a t- it'd be tough between Garfield and Holland because uh, Garfield does such a good job as Spider Man. But I think Holland's at that point where in this movie we'll be sealing the deal to say like, okay, he's in, he's the number one. Uh, but those are mine. Anthony, did you have any any uh, difference in that? Uh, no, my Peter was the same. Um, and then yeah, Spider Man. I've got Tom, Andrew, and then Toby. Okay, but even with such a small, I mean, margin of difference between them. So yeah. With Peter, with Peter, I actually have Toby and Andrew re- reversed. I have Andrew as the worst Peter. Oh, I think you mentioned that at one point, too. And hey, you're not wrong. Uh, what about villains? We won't do a villain ranking, but uh, favorite villain? Mount Vulture. Rushmore of villains. Yeah, that's fair. That's I think M- you. Mount Rushmore, yeah. so top Wait, are four. Are you doing a random Rushmore? The game where everything's made up in the point of that. <laughs> For those of you listening that have not checked out United We Fan, I think it's incredibly important to do so because I am beyond honored that we are getting to do a random, not so random uh, Rushmore here. Thank you so much, Brian. Anthony, we're going to start with you. Uh, top four Spider-Man villains. What do you got on there? Vulture, Doc Ock, Green Goblin, and Mysterio. Is that in order? That kind of sounded uh, like you said four. it fast. That's what I have written down, yes. Okay. Brian? Uh, four, like... Mount Rushmore, so four, uh, Doc Ock, 
three Green Goblin. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man 2's version of Green Goblin. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> two, again, 1B. Uh, for me, the, the tiebreaker is Michael Keaton and that car scene. So two would be Mysterio. One would be Vulture. Yeah, that's good. I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw a wrench in this list because of my rewatch. Maybe get a little excitement here. Could be a hot take. Here's my here's my Rushmore. Number four, Peter Parker. Number three, Green Goblin. Number two, Mysterio, and number one, Vulture. Because guys, we cannot forget all of the self sabotage that Peter Parker has done to himself. And I'm specifically calling the Tobey Maguire movies. He is a villain to himself. And uh, he actually causes more harm to himself than most of these villains do to him. So I feel like I got to call that out. I like that. Man, <laughs> Sandman didn't make a single Mount Rushmore. No, uh, you, you, you can't have only one good scene and be on Mount Rushmore. Uh, the, <laughs> uh, okay, our last bit as we wrap this up. No way from ho- no, no way from home. No way home predictions. Guys, it's coming out in less than a week. We've heard some things. We've seen some things. Uh, Anthony, I want to start with you on this one. Uh, do you have any predictions, any receipts that you would like to memorialize in this comics and cinema episode? I don't. And part of the reason is because I want to go into this and just take it for what they give me. I don't want to have any expectations. I don't want to have any thoughts or hopes or plans. I just want to go in and... Again, because I'm only going to be able to see it once, at least for the first few weeks. Um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't think I have anything. I just want to. I just want to have a good time. I want to. Other than Mephisto. <laughs> well, he's confirmed on the poster. So <laughs> that's right. Yes, Anthony taking the high road. You know, it's it's usually me telling everyone to lower their expectations, but I'm really glad you said that. Our PSA is complete. I encourage all of you to go into this movie not trying to guess anything that happens, to just let yourself be thrust into it the same way that Electro goes right into that socket in ASM2. <laughs> just just go with the flow. Uh, but we can't always do that because we got to have a little bit of fun on here, right, Brian? What do you got? What do you got? You got a couple predictions for us? Anthony, do you think Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, not are you hoping, do you think they are in this film? <sighs> I... I, I I don't know. Yeah, part of me out loud. Part of me, yes. Part of me, (laughs) yes, and no. Um, I feel like if they were, we would have definitely gotten more leaked images, other than you know a few things that we've gotten that could be considered photoshopped. Um, I I don't know if they do Man Three style. (laughs) (laughs) Um, man. I think we get them, and I do not think we get them for very long. I think that's what people I think people have built up their expectations so so much. I do think that we see them, but I don't think we see them for the yeah. The, if if the, we do, it's the very end for the last the last battle. Five, yeah, the the last big hurrah. Um, I mean, you know, we've seen the footage of Lizard getting punched by thin air, and then I'm not falling. sure that. I'm not sure that's real. I that think scene, doctor. I think that could be doctored footage. Somebody just taking it and and I don't know. I don't know if that's real. 
I know. Are you talking about straight from the trailer? Because I I saw it on the trailer. Yeah, I saw the trailer. It's it's the Brazil it's the Brazil trailer. It wasn't the one that we saw. It was the Brazilian trailer. I didn't know the Brazilian. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Um. No, but but at the same time, you know, (laughs) they Sony has to be smart enough to to know. Hey, there's a guy getting punched by nothing, and but at the same time, the sight lines look off from the three villains. Um. I don't know. I, it, maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. I, I literally, I have no idea. Do I want them to be? Yes and no. Do I think they will be? Yes and no. So I'm just completely on the fence. Again, I don't want to have any expectations to see them. I, I but, have a theory. I have a theory that MJ's falling in the trailer, and the hand, the spider hand reaching out to her is actually Andrew Garfield. Oh, um, that would be great. I, that's what, that's I what think, I've heard. I think that that's possible. I I have. I, I think it's very possible they're not in the film. I'm not excited for the fallout to come on Thursday night where people that didn't get what they thought they were going to get and everybody to lose their minds. I'm not excited about that. I'm hoping for a film that makes sense and doesn't feel rushed and isn't just a way to placate Sony to keep Spider-Man in the MCU after talks fell apart. For a long time the rumors are especially with covid and multiverse of madness getting pushed behind this film that this entire film completely changed from what it was meant to be i hope we don't lose sight of tom holland and him trying to live within his universe of getting caught up in something so big that we lose sight of what's happening in the film that's that's simply what i want from this film is i want it to feel as Grounded is is kind of a funny term with how big Homecoming and Far From Home were, but I want it to feel like a John Watts Spider-Man film. I want this to fall within my top three of my Spider-Man films, and I don't want to even think that any of the Sam Raimi's or the we didn't even say directed by Mark Webb. Yeah, Mark yeah. Webb. That's awesome. I love that. It's- <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I I just I want this to feel like a John Watts Spider-Man film. That is my only expectation. And I'm, oh, man, I just can't wait to see it. So, okay, I, I take back what I said. I do think that we will get them. I do think you're right that it is going to be Garfield's hand saving MJ. And the reason why, did you guys see the, um, Zendaya, Tom Holland, and is it John Badalon? Is that his last name? Jacob. The guy who plays Ned. Jacob. Um, their reaction to the trailer. Did you guys happen to see that? Yeah, where yeah, there was a thing where they were like, "Oh, Tom goes, what about what about?" And then, and then Jacob goes, "Oh, people are going to lose their mind when they see that scene." So yeah. either he slipped up and said something, but at the same time, I feel like if he said that, and that would hint people to think one thing, Sony would be like, "Hey, hold on, we got to re-edit this. Don't put that part in it, and then don't release it to the public." But I don't know. I mean, it's again that. It, Kevin Feige said lower your expectations, but Brian, to your point, that could be just because Toby and Andrew are in it for five minutes. That's Feige five, ten minutes. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I do think we go Ned Hobgoblin at some point in this film. Yeah, I'd be cool with that. That's my, that's my one receipt, and I hope it makes sense, and I hope it's not just really Harry, Harry Osborn, Amazing Spider-Man two levels. Well, I mean, didn't he lose a bunch of weight? He did. I don't he know did. if that was before filming or not. He kind of everything we've gotten in the trailer, he's wearing his letter jet, his Letterman jacket, so you can't really tell. Um, there's been a couple of photos that official photos of its background, but it, it's kind of an orange like looking hat. I think we're gonna get Ned Hobgoblin stuff. I hope we don't get 
too, too many variants. Like, I think we're going to get more than one version of Willem Dafoe. Um, it's going to be interesting. Like, it's it's going to be super interesting. I just hope Lady Liberty holding up Cap's shield is as cool as I imagine it being. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, honestly, that that's really all I want from this movie, too, Brian, is I, I really want to love this movie. And I, I'm going to be throwing my expectations out the door. I'm not going to be forcing myself to like the movie, but I'm, I'm trusting in everything that I've heard and everything that I've seen that this is going to be a showstopper of a film. I know there's talks... Uh, and I know you've receded that this movie is going to make over a billion dollars. And I'm still on the fence on that, but I'm hoping it does because I, I hope that it is as good of a film that people are wanting to go see it multiple times uh, and, and come back and more and more to it. So uh, I'm in that same boat, too. I think uh, I think a little bit of Toby and Andrew would be fantastic. I, I agree. I don't think it needs to be a lot. We don't need to take away from the film. Uh, I'm just I'm honestly just curious to see again we've only seen what probably two and a half minutes of footage and this movie is two hours and 30 minutes long so I just I want to be surprised that's it I don't care what the surprises are I just want to be knocked off my feet can I ask one more question that I did ask on my Tom Holland episode of United We Fan yeah think Doctor Strange is Doctor Stephen Strange Mm, uh, that's right yeah I I think so I think uh, if not I maybe not but I, I think based on what it is that it is, I will acknowledge that he looks weird and he's, he's acting a little strange. Yeah, he is. But, he's he's acting odd in my yeah. opinion. Something like, like the the, the whole let's Scooby do this crap. Yeah, that whole yeah. What does that mean? That, I don't know. Figure out the mystery and does go it mean split up and split up and go find your own spot. Yeah, I don't know what Scooby do this crap means, but yeah, we'll find out if that's even in the movie. If that line's even in the movie. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much. Uh, we've made it to the end here, and uh, I appreciate you both taking so much time out of your evening to talk with me about this. Uh, I know here on Comics and Cinema, I think the theme now is, you know, when the guests are on, the, the show runs long, which is uh, a good thing. I think we've got a lot of great conversation on here. I'm glad we could kind of memorialize all our thoughts on all these Spider-Man movie, movies before uh, No Way Home comes out. So, Brian, Anthony, thank you both for uh, taking your time for tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. And before we wrap, uh, we had said we had a very special announcement for you guys on some future uh, future content on here. So uh, to everyone listening, tune in to Comics and Cinema. Uh, our next episode is, in fact, going to be our 200th episode, uh, which I'm really excited about. Uh, I'll be talking about that a little bit more and what that means during that episode, which, in fact, will be our Spider-Man Far From Home episode. Uh, I know in our prior session we had mentioned that uh, Maya was going to be joining us on here. Unfortunately, she had a prior commitment, wouldn't be able to make it. Uh, so I am going to be recording with our good friend Sarah. Uh, so we'll have that episode up, and then I'll also be working on a uh, our monthly Spider-Man comic episode. And I know I promised those issues as well. So for those of you interested in reading some Spider-Man comics that may have direct tie-ins to, uh, to this movie, No Way Home, uh, check out, we will be reading Amazing Spider-Man, the 1999 run, issues 57 through 500. And uh, no, Ryan, that is not 450 episode, uh, issues. It is just three. They changed their numbering. So 57, 58, and 500. The One More Day saga, which if you're watching on Marvel Unlimited, all you'll need to do is type in One More Day. That's uh, Amazing Spider-Man issues 544, 545, Sensational Spider-Man 44 and I think Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man 24. 
Uh, and then also a third series called One Moment in Time that starts with, I believe, Spider-Man issue 5, like 60. If you look it up, it's in the same run. But all three of them deal with some of the things that are going on in this. So tune in there. But even more exciting than that is uh, I have been asked to be on Brian's Earth's Mightiest Weirdos live stream on Spider-Man Sunday. That is the Sunday after Spider-Man comes out. Brian? Take it away. Let, let us know what uh, we can look forward to with that. Yeah, so Spider Sunday, we are going to be doing, Alex and I are going to be sitting around throughout the evening and welcoming in people potentially like Anthony and Sarah and other people that you may have heard on Comics and Cinema in the past. Um, we're going to be talking all spoiler things around Spider-Man No Way Home. It is a live stream that is only going to be on YouTube. Usually, Earth's Mightiest Weirdos is also streamed through this Diz Life podcast on Facebook, but I don't want somebody to accidentally come across spoilers on Facebook. So we are only gonna go on YouTube because then you end up on the video simply by intentionally ending up on the video. Um, so we're going to be live on the YouTube channel, this Diz Life podcast, D-I-S-L-I-F-E, um, Earth's Mightiest Weirdos. It is also gonna be released as a podcast after that is complete as well. If you search Earth's Mightiest Weirdos via podcast, if Alex wants the recording for comics and cinema, he's more than welcome to have it, but we would Ooh. love her mightiest weirdos as well. Um, but if you, uh, Alex will keep you updated on, on what's going to happen there. We didn't really talk about this offline. Like we maybe should have, but um, we are going to be talking all things, Spider-Man no way home on Sunday, December 19th, starting at 7 PM Eastern time. We will be talking as long as we have something to say and one person is there watching us. So we're excited to talk all things Spider-Man No Way Home. And that will be on this Diz Life YouTube channel, 7 o'clock Sunday, December 19th. And anywhere you find your podcasts afterwards at Earth's Mightiest Weirdos. Yep. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, I am super excited for that. I hope all of you listening tune in. Uh, and I've never, ever said this on a podcast episode before, but make sure you smash that like button on his YouTube page, because if we get to 100 likes, YouTube uh, is was YouTube's going to promote it. Or, that's what uh, they say. That's I mean, what they said. So who the knows? Uh, yeah, the algorithm, you guys know how all that works. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just grateful that I've been able to say that on an episode now. So that's exciting. But for all of us here at Comics and Cinema, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we will see you at the movies. Hey.